Hello, this is Jeff from the future. This episode was recorded in 2020 as part of an original attempt at a music review podcast. The original idea was to discuss new music as it was being released, but 2020 being what it was, brought quite a few album postponements and other complications. So this series continued through 2020 and into 2021. We are now here in 2022 at the time I am recording this. So what you are about to listen to is not the Sound Judgment podcast, but an early iteration. Also, being that it was recorded more than two years ago now, some of our thoughts and opinions may have changed, considering that we are, in fact, people who are continuously trying to learn and better ourselves. Enjoy the show. Before this gets started, I wanted to make an editor's note. I was editing this, and uh, I found that there was some sort of weird audio glitch that happens in about the last hour or so, where me and Jeff's conversation kind of goes out of sync. It's on the raw audio file, so there's not much I can do to fix that. Um, unfortunately, because of this, there's going to be moments where you hear me answer a question that Jeff says, or tell him that I agree with something that he's still in the middle of saying, um... I apologize. There's just not a lot I can do about this aside from prevent it in the future. Uh, but I hope it's not too distracting for you because I still do think that this is one of the best episodes we've recorded. Hey, I came home and um, my stepdad was watching a documentary and I'm not I'm not really like listening to what they're talking about. But then I hear my man's beautiful, sultry voice coming from the TV and it was... Uh, Pavarotti singing the sad clown opera. <laughs> oh, I love, I love this. And the sad clown I opera is 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 my favorite opera. I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a moment here to give it a name for for the listeners at home. It is probably Italian, and I won't be able to pronounce it anyways. It well, is okay. I mean, like you know, give me your bastardized version of it. I'm 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 hoping to know. Like, do do you know anything else, or do you just know the sad the sad clown opera? I. It's... Quite frankly, I always forget the Sad Cloud Opera exists because I never particularly liked it. Well, I actually really do like it, and it's it's like he it is he was in full clown regalia when he did it. Like it's oh, it like it, it is was a, it was legit. yeah no it is very legitimately a, a, a an opera about a, a sad clown, and I oh, know, no, like, I know okay I, I know exactly what it is. I just love the fact that you found that he was watching a performance of like in full get up well yeah it was I mean, like, it was a documentary was and they were showing a clip of it but like i recognize yeah. that 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 song anywhere um P- pagliacci is the name right did i do that yeah did i do good i mean it's it's, it's as good as i think any normal non-italian speaking person is gonna get i'm not gonna try and correct you because i'm sure i'm probably off too so it's good enough i don't know i see i know that's the name of the opera i don't i don't know the specific song in the opera is that uh, Ves- that's a Vesti- I don't know Vesti Le Gueba. I'll- I'm actually not sure how to pronounce that word, but yes, that that's that that would be it. Okay, see, y'all Vesti- got to hear me sound like a fucking idiot. I have no clue. I'm not really sure. Anyway, it doesn't really matter. We're not here to talk about Pavarotti. It looks like some sort of weird fucked up <laughs> Teletubby name. Hi, I'm Chris, and I'm Jeff, and this is the New Music Challenge podcast. Every week, we're going to challenge each other to listen to some new albums from this year. But not just any new releases. We're trying to take each other out of our comfort zones as much as we can. So whether you want to hear a metalhead discuss the newest pop release, or a pretentious wannabe blues musician review the hardest new metal album, this is the show for you. Oh my god, we're not, <laughs> we're not here to talk about 
Pavarotti. Braxton Cook, fire son. We're here to talk about Braxton Cook. Maybe let me take your to like one or two tracks and now as i was writing my notes then when we decided we're going to listen to this i realized i don't even remember where this came from i don't know if i found this on a list somewhere i don't know if like spotify recommended this to me i have no clue where this album came from so this isn't someone you have a uh, long storied no i i have no clue who this man is other than the fact that i had to look him up while while, you know, while listening to this album to have a clue. Well, I know nothing of his work otherwise. This is totally new to me. Well, I too needed to look him up because I didn't know R&B had a prog subgenre. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> In all fairness, you can have prog anything. I mean, that's fair. But, yes, there is a prog sub- subgenre of R&B. <laughs> Uh, well, welcome to the world. It, it, it there's some weird. Crap I just out there. woke it's up fun. this morning and there was a prog subgenre <laughs> of RNG, R&B, and um, I don't know. I think I'm in the wrong timeline now. No, you're in the perfect timeline because when else could you have had prog R&B? Because for the most part, all these prog subgenres haven't existed for very long. That's fair. So the the opening track is Moonchild. And I've already made yeah. the Iron Maiden Moonchild joke when we were discussing um, Jim McGillicuddy. <laughs> what? He's Irish, and they're all named James and McGillicuddy. I have no and, clue what you're talking and about. Has, and has, as an half-Irishman, I can say that. I have no idea what you're talking about right now. Um, Gallagher. I suddenly thought you were talking about the comedian. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I got it. Chris, you're, you're totally losing me. Rory Gallagher. Yeah, I, I got that now. I just, like, again, because you were just rambling for a minute there, I thought you were going off on a totally new tangent. No. And I thought suddenly, I thought we already lost the concept of Braxton Cook, and we were now talking about comedians. No. And I'm just like, what is happening? Um, Yeah. So this time I have to reference Mike Patton and John Zorn's Moonchild. Yes. Which can, can I can I just say, um, every I, I'm pretty sure every other song out there called Moonchild probably has more interesting lyrics than this. Um. Yeah. Even the one by John Zorn, which doesn't have a single actual word in it. But there's nothing not interesting about it. But it's definitely interesting. This. This can I can I quote this song, please? Please do. <laughs> because I also have a quote, and I hope it's the same one. Okay, it all. Hold on, wait. Can I? I could. Can I? Can I write what I wrote about the? Can I write what I wrote about the lyrics, and then you can tell me your quote. Go for it. You just go ahead. Well, so first, what I what I wrote is that the lyrics are deeper than the Mariana Trench, 
I'm pretty <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's known for being deep. But but I put as much effort into this reference as was put into the lines. Um Please yeah. tell me what you wrote was baby you're the one, you're the one, you're the one, baby, baby, you're the one, you're the one for me. That's part of it. That's one of the ones I wrote. Okay. Uh, Hit me with the other one. So okay, so actually here, I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna say this. There is, and I, I forget what it's called. I meant to look this up, but I totally forgot. There is a, like, technique that people use when writing poetry and writing lyrics where you essentially give yourself a word bank. Mm-hmm. You sit down and you write a bunch of words that all rhyme. Some people put them in, like, categories. I've seen pictures of people's, like, lyric idea where they have a box of, like, near rhyme. Well, this is more of a, this is more of a word okay. thimble. Well, okay. So, like, what I'm getting at, though, like, fact. Um, in the movie Eight Mile is a really cool example of this, which I believe is because Eminem actually uses this technique of basically giving yourself a, a rhyming word bank. In Eight Mile, there's a scene where he's on a bus and you see him like writing a bunch of r- words, words that rhyme. Mm-hmm. So I'm pretty sure um, what they did when writing this entire album actually is they wrote a word bank um, and then gave it to a second grader instead come up with sentences that end in these words. <laughs> this is not a lyrically impressive album. No, it's it's really not. It's really not. I, uh, in fact, I think my favorite lyrics are, are, and it was from the song All That I Want, are, every single time, girl, you blow my mind, when our hearts combine, this love genuine, when our eyes align, girl, it blows my mind. You, you light my fire. I'm so glad that you're mine. And that really just feels like they picked 20 words that kind of have the I-M-E-ish end and just ran with it. Yeah, yeah. That being said, that's obviously not the point of this album. This is clearly not meant to be lyrical brilliance. The lyrics are... At least the way I look at it, this is Braxton Cook is a singer and saxophone, mostly like jazz R&B performer. The lyrics are just a means for him to use his voice as an instrument. I don't think anyone ever wanted this album to be taken real seriously with the lyrics. But my God, are some of them bad. I know you know that, baby, you are. I know you know you're my shooting star. I know you know that, baby, you are. I know you know you're my shooting star. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think, you, I think you're covering half the album here. I think we're going to get right, copy stroke. The, the next line actually was, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right, good, good job. Is it exactly really? Is that really the next yeah, fucking it line? It, it literally is, I know you are my shooting star, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, cool. Yes, probably subconsciously filled it in um <laughs> but i okay so i'll get to the music for a little while oh so let's actually talk like again the lyrics are not really important no here. no let's, no, no let's dig into them no now. um but it like i said this is this is this has a very r&b vibe to it um it's yeah. kind of like strange in ways i can't really properly define like it has like an ethereal production line like the opening track if you know what i'm talking about 
It's very ambient. Um, it's it's very spacey. It's it sounds like someone is playing an R and B song, but with a jazz band jamming in the next room. That's almost exactly what it is. Uh, it's, it's, it's like yeah. it's like you got your fuck music going, but your roommate is in the other room playing Charlie Parker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a great example. That's a great description of what this is. Um, um, for the record, I love this. Oh yeah, no, it's it's very nice. <laughs> it's very nice. I love this. I loved this album like the whole way through. Track um, track three, like, I think, has some of the strongest lyrics. It's the instrumental. I was actually. I literally have that same note. Um, in fact, well, it's one of two instrumentals. Did you notice that three. Uh, shooting star Isn't it reprise? Three? Oh, it is a three. I think that does a three. But either way, shooting star reprise. Um, is the last track, and it's just an instrumental version of the song Shooting, Shooting Star. Star. Yeah. Um, but it's the instrumental version, and it's 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 so good. Yeah, it's so much better than the one with lyrics. Yeah. Um, I actually wrote down. Yeah, you're right. The the three instrumental tracks are my favorite tracks on here. Virgo being the other one. So there's Aries, Virgo, and Shooting Star Reprise being instrumental tracks, and they are phenomenal. Yeah, uh, Aries is it's it's good it, it's one of those things that i could see being a little um do i want to say discordant for some people uh describe what you mean hey it, it's it's just one of those things where it does some of that jazz stuff that i'm not sure is going to be right to everyone's ear do you know what okay I mean? i'm yeah. gonna call um, it i'm gonna call it freeform jazz and you can correct that and it can be like when i get irritated because people don't listen to me i'll just call yeah, everything i listen I, to screamo and I'm like, you, not, you just I'm called two like, different bands Screamo, and there, one was Iron Maiden, one was Bloodbath. People know it. I mean, it, I, yeah, I'm not going to, like, get all high horsey here because I know exactly what you're referring to, and I think anyone else does. Yeah. Anyone who's ever listened to any jazz outside of, like, Kenny G, you know you are going to hear an instrumental soloist of some sort, and you're going to hear notes that just don't sound like they fit. Mm-hmm. A lot of people in jazz will call them, like, there's like a joke that's like, you know, there are no wrong notes in jazz. Yeah. So this is definitely musically a jazz album. Mm-hmm. Um, Virgo, again, is, is my favorite track on here. And I'm going to assume it is it is primarily uh, solo guitar driven. I am going to assume that people who aren't into this kind of thing are just going to think it sounds annoying. Yeah, but it's very and strange I completely because... Respect it's very strange to me of a choice, though, because, um, like, R&B is, like, a very accessible genre otherwise, and so there's, like, yeah. there's, there's like, these, this very simple, um, accessible song going on with, like, this crazy jazz shit going on in the background. It's very wild. Yeah. It's, it's, I like it. It's just, um, this is not going to be for everyone. No, this is not. Um, but I do think this wouldn't be a bad example for someone who wants to get into modern jazz. This is, I think, this would I think be a good gateway. Yeah, because it's R and B, very chill, very relaxed, and I think it's accessible enough that if you're open minded to be like, okay, I've never listened to this before, but this might sound a little weird. This is a good step in that direction. It's not too crazy coming from someone who does listen to a lot of jazz and contemporary and jazz fusion music. Yeah, I mean, um, and even as someone who like, doesn't, um, 
I don't think it was too crazy either. I'm just like, no. if you're not familiar at all with jazz and you put this on thinking yeah. it's an R and B album, you are going to get some surprises. in there. Yeah, exactly. This is, this is not as accessible as it sounds at first. Yeah. It has, and again, I mean, I don't think it's that it's like, it's not that bad, but there are moments that I mean, even I'm listening to it thinking like, Hmm, I love this, but I know why some people won't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, but the world in general just needs more sax solos. Oh yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, so I don't know a whole lot about this Braxton Cook. Um, everything I have read about him tends to list, list him as a saxophone player first. Yeah. I read, um, all of his bio on his website. So I know. Okay. All I, of that. I did it. I've read like bits and pieces of different paragraphs and reviews and almost everybody says Braxton Cook jazz saxophonist and singer and I'm just like I'm getting the feeling if I dig into him more he probably has some more straight up traditional jazz stuff in his in his repertoire we'll both have to look because it it honestly didn't sound like that to me because it says on his website that his style is combining R&B and and various types of jazz so I don't know if that's I mean that might be his his style throughout his discography, or it might be yeah. more recent. So but... I know I don't. First off, I don't think he's very old. I didn't look no, to see when he was born. Does... I've seen pictures. He yeah. he's a he's a young dude. Yeah. Um, I did see that a handful of years ago. He did a performance with Rihanna. Apparently, I didn't look up to see what he did. I think he's just definitely kind of like a, I think he's done a little bit of a lot of different things mm-hmm. so far. But I think like his, you know the Braxton Cook solo project. Like, I think this is his third album. Um, I think that's this style. Right. Is this progressive R&B right. thing. Okay. Yeah. I am assuming he's probably done more than, or like he's, like he's just credited on or has done appearances on or features on other things that I'm, I'm curious to dig through and see what he's done. My note about Virgo, which was your favorite song, right? Yeah. Uh, I wrote that it's very dependent on one hook that's a little too short and sounds like it's someone trying to start Careless Whisper but keep trying to, like, get it right. (laughs) Like, someone just keeps going back trying to hit the right fourth note. Oh, man. Oh, God. Okay. So, I... Was you? You are literally bringing up something that I was going to bring up later, but it's now suddenly relevant. Wonderful. Um, so I, I brought this concept up the other day to our buddy Damien, um, because he's one of the few people who I know probably has this problem. So I, and you're kind of alluding that you have this problem too. So it, exactly like this, you heard something. And in this case, it's a saxophone playing an incredibly similar melody to something else. And now suddenly you can't get that something else out of your head. Yeah. So there is there is an example that we're going to talk about later on in this episode uh, where I couldn't... I, I kept getting sidetracked in the song because it was reminding me of something else. And I'll get to that. I can't wait. But Good way to hook the, I the listener. You, I want to give you another example real quick here. And I want to see if you do the same thing I did. Because this is the one that was really bothering me uh, the other day. From this album? 
No, this is like completely irrelevant. I oh, was okay. listening to like non podcast listen. I want to see if you do the same thing I did. Now, in all fairness, you might not be fam- as familiar, but we're gonna find okay. out. Okay. Or I want to see if I'm crazy, or if you're gonna hear it and be like, "Oh, I totally hear that." Okay. And literally, we're talking. You need two seconds of these two clips. Okay. It is literally the opening piano arpeggio in two songs. Okay. Uh, one I just sent you. It is a song called Pillsbury Cookie Dough by comedy duo Paul and Storm. Okay. Did it remind you of anything? Is it is it like hurting you that it's so close to it, something? Yeah, it definitely sounds close to something, and I don't, I can't place because it. Here's Please. what it keeps reminding me of. Please blow my mind. And you can literally only play one or two seconds of it because it's a Disney song. <laughs> <laughs> but it is, it is just everything about it is just close enough to the intro to "Do You Want to Build a Snowman?" that I can't listen to the song by Paul and Storm without thinking of "Do You Want to Build a Snowman?" Okay. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you see what I mean? I do. I, I want to give myself. It's room. infuriating, and I love the fact that you put that you made a similar stupid, stupid connection to, of all things, "Careless Whisper." Yes, the the perfect saxophone song. I, you know, I'm gonna let that go. I'm going it's to, fine. and I like Virgo. That's a fine song, and I like Shooting Star Reprise. It's a nice coffee house jazz jam thing going on. I'm going to call, in terms of a fully fleshed out song that could be released as like a single, uh, yeah. I Don't Want to See You the Best. I'll say Don't Want to See You is probably the most straightforward, this is just a solid R&B pop song. Yeah. I was going to say the same thing. I mean, I, I didn't write that down, but if I'm looking at this track list and going, all right, which of these would I have to pick? Yeah. It has to go. I mean, it's pretty short, okay. eight songs, 31 minutes. Uh, so, um, it's, yeah, this was not a long, no, it was <laughs> not. I was very happy that you sent me something that we could cover somewhat quickly. Yeah. In this. Yeah. I, again, I'm apologizing for the fact that I once sent you two hours of Rory Gallagher. <laughs> No, you know what? Uh, that was that was fun. Um, we're all having fun here. I just didn't realize it was two hours when I said it's it. It's okay. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> like it, didn't, it didn't. I know. It just didn't click with me. And I still feel bad just like, oh, God. Because like, I know I don't necessarily always want a two-hour long album. Yeah, and it's it's weird because those kind of live albums, that's something you could go in, like, listen to a couple songs and then kind of duck out and then duck back in later, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I can't tell you how many like long two disc albums I kind of start and then don't finish, or I kind of like and I'm gonna start from track seven and then see where I go. <clears throat> but uh, I mean, I, I'd call this a solid effort to to throw some jazz and R and B together and mix some genres, and I think it works in some places and others. I, it's not entirely for me, but um, I don't know. I'm giving it a recommend. Yeah, this I on. mean, I would not recommend it to everybody, but there are people who I've actually already sent this to. So put this on as a lazy it has day. Already got my recommendation. Lazy day black background album. 
this is, uh, so I have, because this is who I am, and I have well over 100 playlists on Spotify, um, about half of this album made it onto my Sexy Times playlist, oh. so it's it's very fitting in, in certain situations. Uh, you know, it's a great time to turn down the lights, order a pizza, whether you're by yourself or with three people, it doesn't matter to me. It's great music for that. I'm not really sure why you needed a pizza, I think I'm just really hungry. Well, you gotta feed the guests. <clears throat> this yeah, especially if there are guests and not just guests. Yeah, guests. The more guests, you're going to be more fit. Yeah. Um, you, well, you said three people, so I mean, you know, or, you know, oh, you just, yeah, yeah. even just yourself. Yeah. Like, you know, you got to treat yourself right sometimes. Well, if it's definitely just myself, there's definitely going to be pizza involved. <laughs> okay. Um, I also want to throw this out there. This is totally Just stupid, remember my three rules, Jeff. Consenting human adult. Yes. Oh, d- don't worry. Don't worry. Everything's fine. Um, I just want to throw this out there because I happened to see a list of personnel on this album, and the uh, keyboard and Fender Rhodes player's name is Tabor Gable. Just swindle it, you know. I hope um, I hope that's a distant relative. Like, like, first off, that's a really unfortunate, almost rhyming name, and I'm very sorry <laughs> for this person. Uh, second off, I'm hoping this is a, a very distant relation of some sort. Yeah, you know, I, I, that would be wonderful because at least someone in my family would be playing a, I was a Fender. A Fender, Fender Rhodes. Yeah, I mean, hey, that's more than I'm doing with my life. Look at me, I'm recording a podcast exactly. with this jack off. Exactly. Yeah. All right. I think it's a solid album. I mean, like I said, I really liked it. I really, I've listened to this quite a few times now. I'm going to give it three Moon Childs out of four. <laughs> Moon children. No, not moon children. It's four moon childs. Moon child. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Four moon childs. All right. One is the Iron Maiden. Um, one is the okay. Really? Yeah. I. I. You know what? I got nothing. If I if I if I were smart, I'd come up with a clever way to give it like a rating that was a a different zodiac sign. But I'm not clever enough. I really liked this album. If you're into really super chill music and aren't afraid of some weird sounding notes. It's a good one. You said you wanted different Zodiac signs. Aries and Virgo are literally, like, right there. No, no, I was like, if I could think of another one. Like, oh, if there okay. was, like, a weird joke I could make of, like, I would give it a Pisces out of whatever. whatever. Oh. I, I, don't, I don't know where I was going with it. If I were smart, I'd have an answer, right. but I'm not. So, Jeff's given it a Pisces out of Gemini. Yeah, but I don't even know what that means. No one does. Who cares? Astrology <laughs> is bullshit. Yeah, but you gave... I'm you sorry gave if you like astrology. Of... You gave it three moon childs out of four. Like, that's a number. Like, that's comprehensible. I understand the rough grade of that. Giving it a Pisces out of Gemini, I don't... Is that good? Is that bad? I'm a Pisces. I don't think giving it a Pisces is good for anything. I'm a Gemini. I don't think that's good for anything. Ah. Uh, all right. I'm a two-faced bastard anyway. according to the stars. This is true. It's okay. I'm overly emotional cried everything according to the stars and according to most people who know me. Um, <laughs> hey. What do you think I? Braxton what do you think? What album. do you think I did for nine days in isolation? This is true. You sure didn't hear <laughs> from me very much. No, I didn't. You should have been a Pisces. Uh, I probably should have. Speaking <clears throat> speaking of names that we're not going to be able to pronounce. <laughs> Shubin. Oh, there were so many. There were so many names I meant to look up. I have notes all over my little notepad thing here. I'm just like. Asterisk, 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 look this up, and I forgot to look up all of them. Uh, so, up, the mountain Look goat. up the proper pronunciation of Chuvin, please. 
Well, the thing is, I've also seen it written, like, spelled differently, so I... I, I don't know what to say Hold here. Hold on one second. I mean, it's French. I'm assuming it's probably Chauvin. Chauvin. I uh, got it. Congratulations. Chauvin? Chauvin. Uh, you actually kind of, like, lit the N, like, not really happy. Chauvin. I'm not, I'm not very good at French. We're going to call him Chauvin. Chauvin. The Mountain Goat's song for Pierre. Chauvin. Go through the motions every day out in the square. Before we actually talk about this album at all, I think it is important to explain a little bit about why this album is interesting coming from the Mountain Goats, as far as, like, how it was recorded, because that's obviously a huge aspect of, A, who the Mountain Goats are in general, and B, this album specifically. I think you could probably do this better than I can. Yeah, well, okay, so the Mountain Goats are a band that I kind of forced you to enjoy against your will. Yeah, Um, it's difficult. And and you've come around to the studio stuff, but you're still not that into the cassette years, right? No, so, not for the most part, but mostly for other reasons, which we'll get to. So for, for those not in the know, um, the Mound Goats started off as, as one guy, John Darnell, recording himself on a Panasonic tape deck. And he put out he, – he started recording just like after his job working um, as a nurse, I believe, in a psychiatric ward. Um. And after years of just doing these, like, independent releases and, like, doing, like, smaller shows, he got signed to a label and started adding band members and putting out well-produced albums like The Sunset Tree and Tallahassee and great albums. Um, And this is sort of like a Back to the Roots album that he's done in isolation. And it's, once again, just John by himself playing on that very same Panasonic tape deck. Like, it's the same one. Apparently... Side story, he ordered another one and didn't like that the tape reels sounded different than the old one, and he got the old one working again. Are you serious? Oh, see, I had I had no idea he literally recorded this on the same the, the one. same That's tape deck. Really? Funny. Yeah. So, and he re- he released a thousand copies of this tape, and it sold out in under fifteen minutes. And then he announced a thousand more, and it sold out in ten. And he announced two thousand more. And they were gone in 10 minutes, and I was unable to get my hands on any of the 4,000 copies that sold out in under half an hour. So he is single-handedly yeah. resurrecting Memorex. <laughs> so, alright. But this um, album was recorded, like it... was written and recorded in 10 days. He did one song per day while reading um, A Chronicle of the Last Pagans, which I'm sure is a fine book, but I don't know shit about Pierre Chauvin. Um, I, and I'm not even, like, I, I don't even, I, I didn't know the pronunciation until now. Until right and, now we and I up. probably sound super dumb, and it's fine, and everything is fine. So, uh, to get to a couple things. First off, discussing the Mountain Goats always makes me feel dumb. Um, this is... So, especially the albums by the Mountain Goats that are just guy, guitar, recorded into a boombox, essentially. These are not about the incredible musical quality here. He's playing the same four chords all the time. Mm-hmm. That's not what this is about. This is about the fact that John Darnell is very frequently considered one of the greatest lyricists living, if not of all of like rock, pop, and folk music. Mm-hmm. The, the man is absolutely phenomenal. 
and he very frequently references things that I am not smart enough to understand. This whole album is a perfect example of this. I know nothing about what he's talking about, and we'll get into that more in just a moment. Um, so I always feel dumb talking about the Mountain Goats. I feel dumb listening to the Mountain Goats. This is an album that I listened to multiple times while researching what the songs could possibly mean. There were some great threads on Reddit, and there was discussion on um, Genius, the lyric website. Right. But real quick, just before we get into this, about my history with the Mountain Goats, you, like I said, you, or like you said, you made me, you made me a fan of them, basically, just a, just a handful of years ago. Um, and we've actually referenced the Mountain Goats on this podcast a few times, and I guess we never really clarified what we're talking about here, so surprise. Uh, oddly enough, when we were talking about Kesha, of all people, we referenced the Mountain Goats. Kesha has a song, I believe it's the Cowboy song? Something, yeah. Um, where she kind of rambles over top of an acoustic guitar and the lyrics don't fit any real semblance of rhythm or melody. They just kind of go. That is honestly my biggest issue with early Mountain Goats. It's not the fact that I hate the fact that it's recorded on a boom box. That doesn't bother right. me. It's not the fact that he's not, he, he's a, he's an okay singer. He's not a great singer. The man gets that's, by. He has a real weird nasally voice. It works. It's That's fun. sort of why it's, I said you're not a fan of the tape deck stuff yeah. and not necessarily that it's not necessarily that it's recorded on it it's the songs he was writing yeah it's the era which i just want to clarify like that's why i don't like those so i didn't go into this album going oh i'm gonna hate this because it's another tape deck album. yeah like i went into this knowing that i really like his lyrical style and his songwriting these days right. it just so happens that i think he started getting really good in the mid-2000s when he happened to have a full band and was doing these very well-produced pop folk albums. Um, I mean, the Sunset Tree, I think, is really divisive among Mountain Goats fans as, like, either their favorite, because for so, so many people it was their introduction to the Mountain Goats, or it's their least favorite because it's also probably the most accessible and poppy, at least it was at the time. Yeah, it, it's, it definitely seems to be where... Um where he turned a corner with his songwriting and hasn't entirely gone back. No, I mean, he has moments where he, he, he obviously worries about the words first. And if the words don't happen to fit, fit a melody, then screw it. The melody is not yeah. important, but he's, he's at least the way I look at it. This is what I'm assuming happened is he just became a better songwriter. Right. Not that his poetry was ever bad, but he became better at writing poems that fit the structure of a song yeah, and, and, better. Just from years of, he's been doing this what since the early nineties. Uh -huh. And and I've even I've even gone and said that his early stuff is closer to poetry with an acoustic guitar, where his whereas his more recent stuff is, you know, songwriting more like yeah, I mean, well, even more solid of, songwriting. Well, I mean, even some of his earlier songs some of the, especially some of the fan favorites, I mean, there's one song called Going to Georgia, which all the fans know, has lines that are literally spoken. They're not sung at all. He's strumming a chord. It is just saying the poem over top mm -hmm. of it before breaking into, like, the chorus section, which is sung. Yeah. Um, so, so, okay, so we're gonna get, let's get into this album now. This album mixes kind of what I think is the best of both worlds. I really, I mean, don't go wrong. I love the idea of a guy who is just like sitting in his living room with a tape deck, 
singing these songs because that's all he has available to him, which I'm imagining is probably the case when he started. Yeah. He didn't have anything else, would be my guess. Um, so this is going back to that. It's a really cool callback to that, but his songwriting is so much more accessible. Yeah, I mean, it has so, it, it has sort of the raw spontaneity of the early work, too, and, and it has that raw yeah. sound, but the songwriting is just overall much better and much more reflective of his recent stuff. Um, and as much, I actually, I also really like that there's an energy on this album that kind of wasn't on the last three. Because as much as I like Beat the Champ and I liked Goths and I liked In League with Dragons, they were very chill. And I could have used, if you listen to that album, a few more um, <coughs> like werewolf gimmicks. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Um, and I think I, so. Goths uh, was another huge departure in style, and it's. Going back to the Fender Rhodes that we were just talking about, which is an electric piano that, uh, you know, Tabor Gable up there previously played. Um, the album Goths got either a lot of credit or, again, a lot of flack from some fans for not being guitar-centered at all. It's primarily this electric piano album. It's do really, you, really kind of Do good. you remember his, his like, three-sentence quote from the press release? Uh, I don't. I don't. Because I know I even parodied it. It was no guitars, no vocal dubbing. No, okay, no comped vocals, no pitch correction, no guitars. That's it, because I know I uh, did a cover of a song off the album Goths called Unicorn Tolerance, where I played it with just a guitar, and I layered and auto-tuned the vocals to Hell and Back, just to do all the things that the original album wouldn't do. <laughs> um and it got mixed reviews on a Mountain Goats shit-posting group on Facebook. I actually completely forgot about that. That's really fun. Oh, seriously? I, I still have it. It's, I mean, it's on this computer somewhere. God knows where. Maybe we gotta throw that onto the end as a piece of bonus media. Our second, our second fucking song. After, after <laughs> God, what was the first one called? Puff is the one. Puff was the one. <laughs> Is that it? The puff was the one. I don't know, man. Whatever. Something about a raven in your soul. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, so, can we talk about this album? It was now? so good. Yes, absolutely. Um, okay. We. So, I mean, we we, we have been at certain points, but we're both just fucking stupid. Okay. So to uh, hold on to put us back on track, this album, this album by the Mountain Goats, just in case you forgot, is called Songs for Pierre uh, Chauvin. Chauvin, I guess, is how he would say his Chauvin. name. It is, it is based on a book by this Pierre Chauvin called A Chronicle of the Last Pagans, which, from my understanding, is, one, almost impossible to find a copy of right now, and it is not online anywhere. There is no audio or ebook version of it that anyone can seem to find. And, two, it is basically, I guess, this Mr. Chauvin was, or maybe is a scholar of ancient Greece, ancient Rome, the the pagan societies, and this book is mostly about the Christians taking over and destroying and removing that lifestyle. Yeah. It's, so, song, it's, again, it's um, One Road to Asa Bay. What? Uh, the Bathory song. Oh, God. Okay, yeah. There's a reference I was not going to remember. <laughs> um, yeah, so basically, this is an album that is way too intelligent for me, but I listened to it anyway. <laughs> as though we had a choice so can I just say first off 
a lot of these songs begin with just him talking. Like, it's him saying stuff. Yeah. You know, like, he hits record, he says something. Yeah, and that was uh, kind of a staple of the early of the early cassettes. You, there are some that are kind of like, um, you know, in jokes within the the crowd that like uh, the I I got my boots on before Golden Boy and stuff like that. Uh, this one contains uh, the brand new classic, um, the the seven second gap. Just all hail the mysterious yeah. gap. Which is something he says, I guess in one of these songs he tried recording it, there was a, like, finished version of it that some reason had a seven-second gap in it, so he re-recorded it. And in his little monologue, he ends his little opening monologue with all... No. Yeah, he even says all the gap. gap. And that's become kind of a thing. You cannot go on Reddit without seeing a thread with this quote in it in the well, mountain. He, he, has, a, it's, it's he has a shirt now for All Hell the Mysterious Gap. Does <laughs> he really? Yeah. Oh man. Okay. Let's get to that. Let's let's get let's get to that. Let's get. Is there any song in particular you want to to discuss? Um. Like you do you want to start somewhere in particular? No. I mean, if you if you have a place to start, um, I can just go. I'll just go off. Uh. Okay. So like I said, I was listening to this album while researching right. it, and are some things I was able to find some potential information on. Some things I have found nothing on, and I have absolutely no idea what he's referring yeah. to. You can walk me through that because I you put a lot more research into that than I did. Well, this is kind of what I have to do listening to the yeah. Mountain Goats, especially some of his albums. So John Darnielle is is I want to use the word devout, but I don't want people to take that the wrong way. But he is very known to be a religious. He is. Man. He is a. He is like. A very unique, not entirely preaching, but kind of like he'll let you know. Yes, he and he uses a lot of religious symbolism yes. and biblical references and quotes, which I I love. I'm really uh-huh. into this. So can I just yeah? Because that's super your thing. Back? I'm I'm the atheist between the two of us, and you're that the, is, you, that are is the super you are the you are the I love the. I love biblical the loose, studies, man. The loose Christian. Can I call it a loose Christian? That's totally fine. I just, I love biblical studies, uh-huh. man. So can I make a weird callback to, uh, to, uh, the New Testament as in the album? Yeah. And the Bible yeah, section? Sure. So on the Testament album, there was the song, The Code of Hammurabi, which again, the Code of Hammurabi was the Babylonian text, essentially of, it's where eye for an eye came from. So eye for an eye, tooth for a yeah. tooth, that whole ordeal. And I, I believe I gave that album an eye for an eye for an eye out of an eye. I forget how I worded it. I gave it a three out of four eyes or something like that. Um, so in, in, oh crap, I lost what song it was. The one lyric in this song, Hopeful Assassins of Zeno, okay. has the most amazing couple lines, I think, on this entire album. First, be nice to the guys who wear necklaces with crosses. They will stab you in the back. Is just brilliant on so many levels that because we all, A, can relate yeah. to it, B, it's relevant to the Christians taking over this pagan mm-hmm. society. But there's the line where he is referencing the New Testament. You gotta turn the other cheek. You gotta learn to love Jesus, so to speak. The phrase turn the other cheek is 
a biblical reference. It is from Matthew 5, uh, verses 34 to 42, which read, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So I just was really happy that there was a nice callback to the Code of Hammurabi in a very unexpected place here. But this is the kind of thing that John does that I love is he didn't directly quote the Bible, but he does these little goofy references here and there because he knows them. He knows it so yeah. well. I mean, he has an album that is literally each song is just based on Bible verses. Oh yeah, Life of the World to Come. In what a, ver- in a very I mean. roundabout way. It's not like not, he's just yeah. telling the story. Yeah, the they are not. He's telling stories that tell the same story as yes, the verses. Yeah. They they are they are stories that if you if you look to this line of text biblical text that's kind of an inspiration for the song. Man, I was man, I was so happy when I like saw that connection there because I I oh, saw God. all of these and and um I, I like I pick up the biblical text and but I don't think to to relate them like that because I I you probably don't have. I'm, I'm going to throw this out there. I'm going to make an assumption about you. Go ahead. You probably don't have religious texts on your phone. No, I do not. Okay, although I do. Although, so I do not forget that every time I go to a hotel, I always send you the story of the man going up the mountain and having <laughs> a bear maul children. <laughs> I mean, it is one of the best stories in the Bible. Um... No, this is true. So, I mean, that's. I'm not going to get all like weird and preachy. I'm not going to dig out Bible verses all the time. But John Darnier, John, wow, John Darnier certainly does, and I'm not going to go through all of them. But that one, because it was a nice callback to last episode, maybe. that was actually really that was very I, good on your part. Can I just say, in my reading, I also found this uh, someone's review on Reddit. This comment just made me laugh. The song, Their Gods Do Not Have Surgeon. Eight out of ten will cry alone in my car while listening to this song. <laughs> so thank you, uh, Mr. or Mrs. M. Korostoff, for this comment, because I fully agree. Duh. Do you have thoughts on this song in particular? Because this, I think, is like kind of one of the, like, oh my god, this song is crazy moments. Return the peace you took from me. Give me back my community. Show us the goodwill you were shown Leave us alone And restore The temple Of Isis At Memphis This one has some just amazing, amazing, amazing lines. I love the verse. Melted holes in celluloid, give me back what you've destroyed. You you who come demanding proof, let your God rebuild this roof and restore the temple of Isis at Memphis. Oh my God, he's so good. This is, this is like, this makes me think of uh, the song, The Immigrant Song by Led Zeppelin, but it's, like of like these invading people destroying everything but it's from the standpoint of the people whose everything well, is being destroyed. that's i mean again i literally referenced one road to asa bay earlier by bathory 
And that's kind of like what yeah. it makes me think of. Because have okay, you ever yeah. sat down yeah, and yeah. looked at the lyrics to that song? Because it's I I don't I may have I, it's certainly not a song I know like because it's the it's not a song I, I couldn't it's the quote. it's the first Bathory song I sent you and the one that actually made you go oh I need to listen to more of this oh is it okay I mean that doesn't mean I, I know the lyrics though. I know um but it's it's literally the lyrics I'll just give you a little piece um but one man rode the way through the woods down to Asa Bay where dragon ships had sailed to sea more times than one could say to see with his own eyes the wonder people told from man to man the god of all almightiness had come from a foreign land rumors told of a man who had come from the other side of the seas carrying gold cross and chain and spoken tongues of peace he had come with men in strange armor dressed in purple shirts and lace smelling not of beer but of flowers and with no hair upon their face and the the song goes on to basically say these these Christians came and made them build a Catholic God, a Catholic church. Um, and to, and to, you know, they have to, you know, put it's, it's about destroying their religion. And, and then there's, um, one where a man, uh, you know, speaks against it and they immediately kill him. Um, the lyrics to that song are very good, but, and then at the end, like it's, it's, uh, um, now in this house of a foreign god does stand. Now they must leave us alone. Still he heard from somewhere in the woods, old crow of wisdom say, people of Aceland, it's only just begun. Oh, yeah. All yeah. right. Yeah, so it, it, is the same, it is the same general topic, which is, is... It's it's about Christians coming in and just wiping out the pagan religion. Super cool. And also you just added more to a note that I have for later. That's Wonderful. Um, but can I... So, like, just, again, about this specific, like, set of lyrics here. This is one of the ones where he totally loses me, and I, I wish I had a clue what he was trying to get at. Um, and restore this temple of, I- of Isis at Memphis? I can find nothing about a statue of, or a temple of Isis at Memphis. I'm assuming that this, no is, that this is some sort about. of, um, some sort of symbolism. This yeah, I'm sure it is, and it's one that I can find nothing about, and God, I wish I knew what it was talking about. This is one of those ones where I'm just like, he is so much smarter than me that I, I wish I understood this, and I, I can't. I've read a lot of speculation about that. I've also read a lot of speculation about the song that is literally called January 31st, 438, as in the year 438. Yes. I... I have no idea. I don't even know where to begin. I don't know what this is about. I've read speculation, and none of it makes sense to me anyway because I'm not smart enough. This that is that is <laughs> but, why sometimes I just kind of I just kind of try to analyze it at like the emotional. Okay, what is he trying to like? What is the emotion he's trying to evoke with this? Um, yes. Rather than trying to figure out what he's literally saying, because as you just said, he is. He is both smarter than me and researching a book that I don't even think I could begin to to grasp. Yeah, but can I make a, a really stupid like comment here about this no. song? In his little dumb opening monologue here, he says, and I, I quote, Hey, I'm totally in the full heat of this one, so I haven't bothered to tune, so I'm not at 440 here. I don't know what to tell you, I'm in G. Anyway, if anybody's taking notes. Um, and he's literally talking about his guitar going out of tune. 440 meaning 440 hertz. It's the standard tuning pitch that people use. If you have like a tuning fork or if you use a tuning app or yeah. anything. 
and you hit A, the note A, you're going to get the exact pitch of 440 hertz. It just made me laugh because I, I kept wondering, I kept wondering, and it's sadly not the case, if his guitar was going out of tune and he just didn't bother fixing it, if his guitar had slipped from 440A to 438A, and I was really hoping there was like an intentional little joke here that his guitar slipped just barely out of tune enough to match the year he's referencing. Sadly, that is not the case. I'm very though. sorry. But I want you to know that after listening to this album, I literally like came home and I had to test it. Uh, that being said, only a two hertz difference isn't really different. You're, you're like, not going to notice not it. Noticing I, I, 440 to 438. I do noticing. appreciate But I wanted to know, I, like, is he out of, is he out of tune? I, need I to do know. appreciate that you, that you went above and beyond in this way. You really put yourself on the line for I, this show and I respect it. Part of me really kind of wondered if it was one of those, like, he's being a jerk yeah. about it. Like is he, it's a, like is, is it an telling us I'm not yeah is he telling us he's not at 440 because he actually did tune his guitar intentionally two hertz low? I doubt that's the case. But if I was able to prove it, that would have really made me laugh. Not that you can super tell because of the recording quality of the record yeah. anyway. But that's beside the point. It was a stupid thing that I happened to notice that he references the exact hertz in the same one that references a year, and the numbers are so close. I love that um, you did that. That's that's good work. <laughs> you're, you're, you're it fascinates me the, I, the it fascinates I, me the amount of the amount like the times that you'll go out of your way not to do work, and then like the dumb the <laughs> dumb projects you'll give yourself. Trust me, I if I'm ever asked like obviously I'd never say this in like a job interview, but if anyone seriously ever asked me what your biggest flaws are, my lack of ambition over important things is my number one flaw. <laughs> And yet I become obsessed over, like, that. Like, this is the kind of thing that I listened to that song on my way to work one morning and then made a note to myself. It's in my calendar. I can look at it. It's, it was last Thursday, I think. Um, where I then, like, put a note to myself of, like, check the tuning for 7 o'clock that night so I knew I was uh, home. You did really well. I hate myself no, so much. No, um, you did fine. Um, so... There's another weird, fun thing he did here, and then I'll, I'll let you talk, because I have been talking like crazy. I did way no, too No, I like it. Please, today. keep For going. Me, I do not do I do not do not cocaine. In fact, I'm actually very tired. I've just had a lot of coffee. Uh, I'm running, um, I'm I running really... on a short nap in my second monster energy. This is true. Um, as I was say, I'm, I'm really happy. There is a song on here called Going to Lebanon I was. 2, that's actually one of which, the... Okay, I didn't make as many lyrical notes as you did because you're the fucking biblical scholar here, and I was sitting there like, ah! But, yeah, Going to Lebanon 2 um, and and Exodic Chains. Did I, did I say that one right? Exegetic? Ex- I forget how he says Exegetic? Exegetic. I think oh, there is exegetic. a G in there. Okay, okay I just wrote it down wrong. Yeah. Um, and exegetic chains are are the two that I uh, made notes to because they're both kind of throwbacks to stuff he's done in the past. Oh, I don't know the throwback to okay. that one. Because um, going explain go, these then because well, okay. I'm curious. Um, so lyrically on on a on a handful of songs in this album, and he does it on on a few, but these last two, um, he are are kind of the bigger ones. In that going to Lebanon two is both the first going to song and sequel song he's done since the cassette. No, he'll turn two, but um, 
It's the first going to song he's done since the cassette days, I believe, and one of very few sequels he's done since then, which were both co- really okay. common things that he did back in the cassette days. He had, there's going to Georgia, yeah. going to Lebanon, going to Maine, um, and then there's just stuff like I don't know what are the, some of the numbered songs, but you know what I'm getting at. Yeah, I just I was gonna make a reference to like him doing going to insert name of yeah. place here is a thing that he did for a long yes. time, and there's a bunch of songs that people would just call the going yeah, to. Yeah, but I I guarantee there's probably a playlist of all. Oh, the I'm going sure, to songs and I think but I think it was very interesting to call all the way back to going to Lebanon from his first album. From his first album, which was yeah. super cool. I'm gonna <laughs> let you make your point now. I just want to throw that out there. No, that's really that was all I wanted to get. It was just like that was a really great throwback, to like. This being his first album done on like the cassette, like the tape deck, just him and a guitar in almost twenty yeah. years, I think. I think he started. What was the first full band? The album? first full band album was All Hill West. Was, Texas? No, that All Hill West Texas was the last acoustic, like just him and a guitar album. That's the one with the uh, best ever oh, okay, death metal band one, out of Denton. Oh, you're right. You're right. The I'm first sorry. one yeah, was Tallahassee. Right. Was the last. And they were both right. released the same year, which I believe is two thousand. That I, I I know it's either it's it's two thousand or early two thousand two thousand, but it was a really a really cool throwback. Yeah. Um, the other one I can't believe you didn't pick this one up in Exegetic Chains. Make it through this year if it kills you all right as a throwback to this year. Oh, okay. I I was thinking there was like something about the name of the song that was a throwback. Oh, okay. Nope. No, make it through this year if it kills you all right outright. Uh, but you can kind of see that in a whole new light with this goddamn pandemic out there. Yeah. yeah. Which for for anyone who doesn't know, um, that line is a callback to this to, year. Uh, one of like his to a song from this year, which is probably one of his most popular songs in the grand scheme of things. Maybe not necessarily to fans. But there are many people who that's probably one of the few songs they've ever heard. It's one of, like, the... It's off of the Sunset Tree, which we mentioned earlier, is, like, probably the most accessible song. If you want to listen to the Mountain Goats, that's where I think most people start, or at least should recommend mm-hmm. to start. Um, And it's probably, like, if there were a lead single off of that album, it would definitely That's the one with that. the music video, so I believe it is the lead single. Oh, I'll say, yeah, I mean, well... Oh, yeah, I guess it does have a music yeah. video, doesn't it? I always forget that that's yeah. even a thing. Um, like it really is like the quote unquote the quintessential Mountain Goat song for newcomers. I know there are people who would argue that, but as I have said for quite a few years now, if you are introducing somebody to something they don't like, you don't tell them the most obscure one. You don't say, "Oh, this is my favorite song." You go on YouTube and Spotify, you find the song that has the most listens, and you send them that first. Because that's the most accessible. I hated Tom Waits for years because no one told me to go and listen to I Hope I Don't Fall in Love With You. They made me listen to the bullshit that he did 20 years later. What a good fucking album that is, too. What, that That first Tom Waits album? That's so good. Yeah, it's great. It's also the only album of his I like anything off of. Um... But, you know, people made me listen to, like, Downtown Train first or whatever. And I'm just like, no. Like, if you would have made me listen to Martha or Old 55 or I Hope That I Don't Fall in Love With You first, I would have liked this man. But that's not what you did because people suck and are way too full of themselves. And they want to come off as really cool and say, like, oh, oh, you want to listen to Against Me? Here's the recording that Tom Gable did in his basement. I have a signed copy of it on cassette. Like, no. Make them listen to one of the songs that gets radio play. Alright, it gets radio play for a reason. 
I'm just gonna let you go this week. I think. <laughs> I. I'm really uh, like I'm just I'm just sitting here like trying to take in as much caffeine as I can, and you're just fucking going. And I'm like, man, I got all these notes, and Jeff's just like throwing me over his back and carrying me across the finish line. I fucking love this. For the record, for the record, I am a big fan of the band Against Me. I do, in fact, have a very early pressing of Against Me's first album. And it pretty much was like a couple acoustic guitars recorded very poorly. But if someone wants to get into Against Me, they have had albums that have gotten radio play. Please start there. That's, you don't want to start with Pints of Guinness Make You Strong. You want to start with from the third album I gotta on. say, um, I'm, I am start, starting finally to come around to Against Me. Uh Oh, yeah, so good. the for a like the whole for a, for so a long time, the only album I liked was uh, transgender dis dysphoric <laughs> oh dysphoria blues. I, I, I'm trying to remember the exact I phrasing love... because it's like I it's you you literally okay. had it. You literally had it. Tra- say it again. Transgender, transgender dysphoria transgender blues. Dysphoria. I, I didn't want to say dysphoric yeah. and said dysphoria or I yeah. Gotcha. I just, I love, like, I love, li- like, you can hear the gears turning in your head. I love when you, like, cry and remember I was, something. I was sitting there like, I'm going to sound um, stupid and call it, like, uh, transsexual, transsexual dysphoric blues or something and sound like a goddamn idiot. Yeah, and it's like... But it's, I sounded like an idiot like, getting it I right mean, anyways, so good job, me. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, like, they are... But that... Oh, because you were saying that, that was, was the album that, yeah. that... And, and I was, um... Not personally, but like a friend of mine was going through like some issues with their sexuality at the time that that came out, um, and like that just kind of like helped me deal with like not accepting because there wasn't a problem of accepting it, but like understanding, understanding what the, that person was going through. Um. Okay. So I guess I guess we should we should discuss the elephant because we're discussing the band uh, against me. Front. Former frontman lead vocalist uh, Tom Gable is transgender. Uh, now goes by Laura Jane Grace. Um, still fronting. She still fronts the same band. She does old material still. But in 2014, released this album, Transgender Dysphoria Blues, because she was coming out as transgender. Um, which surprisingly didn't... like. I really, when she came out, I was really expecting a lot of, a lot backlash. of backlash. From, not necessarily from against me fans, because I think against me fans are not that kind of person for the most part. But I was expecting it to like make waves in like really dumb yeah. ways. And as far as I saw, at least it really didn't. I mean, God knows what she personally dealt with. I I don't know. Oh yeah. But I mean, for a band that with their previous couple albums were actually getting some like radio play on alternative rock stations. I was a little worried there, but it didn't really happen. But um I I think Against Me is a perfect example of with almost every new album, if someone wants to get into them, I'd recommend the newest album. You know, back when I was first up becoming a big fan in like two thousand three, four, there were only two albums. There's Reinventing Axel Rose and As the Eternal Cowboy. Yeah. As the Eternal Cowboy is a much more straightforward folk punk album. Then there was Searching for a Former Clarity, which is just kind of a little more just like alternative rock sounding. And it's like every new album became more and more accessible. But I know, I, in fact, I still know people 
who, if if someone wants to get into against me, they say like, oh no no, you need to listen to this song first, and it's gonna be like one of the weird songs off of Reinventing Axl Rose. Just stop. Just get over. You know yourselves. what? I would. If you're gonna listen to the mountain goats, listen to the uh, Sunset Tree. Oh, right? I was gonna fucking circle it back. Damn you. I was gonna say. I was gonna say. You know what? I would <laughs> no, that... recommend listening to um, by Against Me is is Laura Jane Grace's covers of the Mountain Goats. I forgot she did those. You're not wrong. They're pretty they're, phenomenal. They're very good. Um, they're pretty phenomenal. And yeah, that's, that that's actually is the uh, when she when she did a few of their covers. Uh, that actually got me a like back into trying to get into their stuff. And I listened to a live album. And it was it was pretty damn good. Yeah. Oh man, what if we talked about the Mountain yeah. Goats for a little while? I mean, do you want to talk about the Mountain Goats for a little while? <laughs> I think we already did, but we can continue. I, did, I was just trying to get us back on topic a little bit and, I, and I, I know. reel us back kidding. in. We can. We can. Um, I mean, so in all first, I I don't have a whole lot more to say about this album without getting like, oh my god, let's dissect the lyrics and trying to figure out exactly what we're referring to. We got time. To. Maybe we got time. Maybe we're only an, I don't only want an hour in. It's fine. Look, I don't want to look musically. Right it's it's JD with an acoustic guitar, with little exception. The 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 one exception is um that the wooded hills along the Black Sea, which should be a black metal song just by the song title, <laughs> reminds me of Blues in Dallas from back on the very last cassette album, All Hell West Texas, which is another cool callback. Um, again, like the the last song. Uh, or not the last song, the last album that they did on just cassette, um, had a song that was just. I guess this is a would. I guess this is maybe a Fender Rhodes or some sort of similar keyboard with like a built-in like drum machine. Cause no trouble. Keep to our own kind. Known to exist. Um, yeah. But it, it, it sounds like it's the same keyboard with the same drum beat setting um, as that's the, the song Blues in Dallas from All Hail West Texas. That, well, if he used the same tape recorder, it would not surprise me at all if it's literally the same. The do, same you, do you know the song in question? I do not. I mean, not the throwback one. I, I'm not sure what you're referring to. I don't know this. Give me song. one second. Um, sure. I mean, as as I think we've discussed, I am not the biggest fan of that era right. of the Mountain Goats. There are a few songs that I think are exceptions. Um, but you, if you if you listen I to mean, this and you are you you have um, the wooded hills along the Black Sea in your in your mind, you, I think you'll hear it. I will wake, I will wake, I will wake. Oh, man. I wonder if yeah, it is. Yeah, it doesn't it sound the same? Not exactly the same, like it, but it sounds like it's. It sounds like he's using, you know, like some cheap keyboard, and just using like a different, you know, synth right. patch of some sort. Right. Of it. Like you know, the one time he's using like 
electric piano one and this time he's using electric piano two yeah. kind of thing but yeah i mean that wouldn't surprise me if it's literally the same one but yeah that is the only i guess it is the only song on here that's not just a dude with a guitar it's a dude with a cheap keyboard um and i i think my i have like one other paragraph of like me talking about the lyrics but i think you essentially covered everything uh i don't think i could cover the lyrics any better than you've already dissected them uh, because you did a fucking autopsy. <laughs> I did okay. In all fairness, I didn't even touch. No, no, no. Of these I'm not saying here. that you did an autopsy on this recording, but I mean, apparently, while you were listening to the album, you did a oh. fucking autopsy. Oh, I, <laughs> I did, and, and if I came to like any really interesting conclusions, I would have gone into them. But there's so much speculation, and I am not smart enough to make the statements. So, um, I'm gonna let a suffice lot of it go. to say. I believe personally he's helped his lyric game since there's a monkey in the basement. How did the monkey get there? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. But at the same time, he's always had like he's, he's always had, had some goofy, goofy stuff. Lines. But I think that I think that some of the old the benefit of some of the older stuff is that um, some of the lyrics just cut real hard with how blunt they are, which is weird concept because it's really hard to cut with a blunt object. But <laughs> well, but so. there's there's certain things that that he does especially when he kind of like gets fired up and really yells in the old recording that you don't really get anymore let's go to maine out on the east coast let's go to maine right now let's beat the retreat let's hop on the plane let's get out of here let's go to maine and i think for that rawness and that intensity uh, that old stuff is great, but that's not his writing style anymore. So if you if you're expecting this yeah. to be that much of a throwback, that's not going to be in there. Um, yeah. But but it, it's kind of like it's kind of like the old stuff is very good if you want to hear just raw emotion coming out of a human being, and this one is a much more poetic. Uh, this is very thoughtful. This yes, is very intelligent. Yes. It's very cerebral. The 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 old stuff is um, when you're yelling in an argument, and this is when you're ruminating on it three days later. Yeah, yeah. The well, the old stuff is. I mean, it's yeah, the oldest albums are thirty years yeah. old almost. I mean, the old stuff are a, a much younger man who is uh, much more freshly out of some really really bad life situations that we don't need to get into here, but maybe at some point we will. Um, the man's had a life. Let's just say there is there is in an incredible. I'm gonna I'm gonna pitch something. There is an incredible interview with Mark Marin that he did. If you really want to get into his life, um, that I think covers about everything you need to know for like an hour. <clears throat> oh, okay, interesting. I, I think I've sent it to this. you. I don't know if you listen to it. If I, I will say I'm sure you've sent it to me, but like, did I stop and listen to it, or was I busy playing yeah. Minecraft? Like that's that's the real question here. I'm, I put busy in quotes. Oh, I'm way. sure you did. Like, just, Don't yeah, worry. That's it. Um, and by that I mean, was I in the mood to like really get into something, which is just unfortunately not always the case. Anyway, I love this album. Yeah, this was really, really, really good. Um, again, it was really short. It, it was very short, but again, um, I'm going to give it to him for some he wrote in 10 days, one song a day. I don't think I realized that it was done that quickly. Like, I didn't realize he was just writing a song yeah. a day. Oh, man, that's that's wild. That's really cool. Eight mysterious gaps out of ten. <laughs> Damn it. 
are so good with uh <laughs> with your scoring. Thank you. I I can't stop that. Well <laughs> done. Alright, so are you ready to go from a man with a cheap tape recorder uh in probably his living room with a guitar and now talk about probably the most overly produced album we are gonna we're gonna listen to this entire um, year? Yeah, do a leap of future nostalgia. Nostalgia is the Let me um, okay. let me start so, this by asking so, you a question. Yeah, is Dua Lipa into suspension because she brought all these strong ass hooks? <laughs> well said. Um, that could have just been my review. I think I could have just stopped there, but I did write more. If you, if you wrote for Pitchfork, like that's really all you have to say. So, do you want to start? Or do you want me to give this like? An I want you to give me an overview, thing. but I just that's how I felt okay. it should start in my heart. Yeah, yeah. Right. So Dua Lipa, first off, is I think she's only twenty-four. So like this is this is only the second album from, okay. from her. Um the first album is not something I'd really say you have to listen to. It's definitely a little more straight ahead pop with some of like the other influences that are much more apparent on this album. This album, this future nostalgia. It literally sounds like if the Daft Punk album Random Access Memories had a female singer. Like, that's what this is. This is the grooviest, funkiest, like, disco-infused pop thing. This possible. side of LaRue. If that, if that sounds like a good thing to you, this album is really, really incredible. If nothing else, all I could think about half the time I listened to this album was I want to be her bass Oh my player. god, the bass on this is very <laughs> the good. The bass on this entire I was okay. I want to. I want to point out that I was looking up the the like musicians because every song, every song has a different like track of musicians, right? I don't think every song specifically does, but I, I, there's a lot of people yeah. on this album. In, I mean, like a lot of pop albums, there's no. no but I'm, know, what I'm saying like, is that there's no, not. It's, no it's not a single for. lineup of musicians recording on every song. No, but there are, I think, some people who were on most yeah. songs. Um, and honestly, what but what no. was kind of interesting to me was that there was actually some some uh, spillover with the Aussie album from earlier this year. They what do you they mean, had the so? same producer. They both had Chad Smith from oh. the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot Chad Smith yeah. was on the Aussie album. So actually, Andrew Watt, uh, the guy who produced and played guitar, who I believe for Aussie, has COVID, is only. Yes, well, I think he's Good. recovered, but he did come out a while ago as saying he, you know, he did test positive, and he did an interesting little interview talking about how, like, what it was like, how it felt, whatever. Get, get well soon, um, unless you're I, already well, in which I, case, get weller. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so I don't think I mean, like, he's not. He was not part of this. No, no, no. Album. But he, he, he was. I think. Yeah. Like, he's on it. Um. I mean, there's. So I actually just had to pull it up. If you go to the Wikipedia page and hit instrumentation. Uh, you'll see exactly what I mean as like, this is such a totally ridiculously overproduced album. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in, this is a creation of many, many people, which I think sometimes we kind of forget when people are discussing pop music, 
it is some people would say like pop music is really sterile and i guess you could call it that i just say it's very refined and i think this is exactly why nobody on this album was getting um fatigued because they weren't involved for everything the only time i'm seeing someone listed on all tracks on this album is Dua Lipa yeah. herself, which I think is, for this style, I think is exactly how it should be. But yeah, there is there is some crossover. I forgot Chad Smith. In fact, Chad Smith and Andrew Watt were involved on the same song. Okay. That's, That's adorable. adorable. They, are, they are both on the song Break My Heart. So Break My Heart is the song where I was like, this bass is fucking great. And it's like so simple. It's just like, don't, 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 don't. But it's like that. It's like that we talked about before. Like you, you find the funk. Um, yeah, that's exactly what and, it is. And so I was just digging this bass line and I was like, who's the bassist? And I think that's the only song I couldn't find a fucking bass credit for. Uh, that's because I'm pretty sure the bassist is this Drew Jureka, who is, like, he doesn't have a okay. Wikipedia page. And he's also the guy who played, uh, the violin, viola on some tracks and a handful I just of wasn't sure because like. every other, like... Oh, no, no, it, okay, even better. The bass guitar on, on that track is a man named Tom Barnes who also played bass and drums on track five. Uh, that's that's what he did. He's on two songs. No, I'm seeing... I'm seeing... Unless, okay, no, I'm seeing... Tra- he was on track Oz. eight and... Track eight and five. I'm talking about track nine. Oh, oh I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Track nine... Yeah. Uh, track nine saying? is the only one that I'm not yeah. seeing a bass credit for. You know what? You're right. I am also not seeing a bass credit for it. Um, I mean, let's see. There is, is there also a... the possibility it's just a synthesized bass. I want to throw I'll that say, out there. Is there who, who who did like? I don't see. I see almost no one credited for track nine. Yeah, I mean, honest. it might just be. I am going to assume. I may be wrong. I'm going to assume that is just entirely a yeah. production thing. I am going to assume Andrew Watt probably did it in in some manner and is just yeah. not credited, or when he's credited as guitar, they're including that as well. I that mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you. But, no, I mean, this whole album is just, like, super groovy and funky, and it's probably the second grooviest album we're going to listen to this entire year, um, only because we happened to already listen to Tower of Power, and I don't really know how much you can... I don't think you can get no, groovier than uh, that. No, unless you listen to... Unless, unless Parliament Funkadelic comes well, out with a new album, I don't think we're going to... Or unless you listen to the Sonic Adventure 2 soundtrack, evidently. <laughs> well, that, oh, okay. that's this year. We're not... That's not well, you never year. know if a new Sonic OST if is coming Sonic out. Very true. But okay. Um Do do you do you have anything that so, you want to delve into first? Um I just want to make like a couple of just like overarching okay. comments here. Um so obviously the, the the name of the album is Future Nostalgia, which I think is it's one of those statements that doesn't really mean anything, but it kind of gives you a certain feeling. Uh that this album is 
nostalgic in weird ways. This is obviously, this album musically is straight out of, like, disco and funk. Like, this is so 70s, 80s. That immediately means that I probably put, like, too much thought into the album title then, because I'm sitting there like, I guess the point is that this is something that we will be nostalgic for in the future, meaning that this is, like, just a... Just a picture of this moment in time, and now I'm just like, oh no, I'm not saying you're wrong. Yeah, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying like it's sort of a it's a sort of like a goofy using the word nostalgia. I think just automatically makes people yeah. think of something. And I just I just want to point out that I love. There's a bunch of um, but what I'm really kind of cool references yeah. in this album that I just want to cover okay. real quick. So. First off, I think one of the ones that I well the most obvious is there's a song called Physical. And it's like a disco dance. Yeah, let's pop get physical. Uh, you know, there's that really famous one by is that Olivia? Newton? I believe so. Uh, the yeah. song, you know, physical, physical. And it's, and it's it's obviously a reference to that because it has the same double word physical. Mm-hmm. I get it. I also really love. There is a great line in here, um, in the song "Don't Start Now." There's the line. Aren't you the guy who tried to hurt me with the word goodbye? Though it took some time to survive you. And, like, obviously that is such an I will survive reference by... Oh, God, I forgot to look this up. Is that Gloria Gaynor? Who wrote I Am I Will Survive? I Am Survive. I Will Survive! Yeah, I Am, I am Survive. Is that... Yeah, Gloria Gaynor. I, I gotta mean... tell you, I didn't catch that one. That's a good catch. Ooh, I love that one. That was That, that, was that a is a good one. one. Uh, this album just has like just a bunch I'm not gonna go through all this album just has a bunch of really fun like references and throwbacks to things that let's face it again I think she's only 24 years old the things that might have actually flipped me on this one because initially my thought was like the lyrics are fine nothing like nothing stood out to me either as offensive or as a pleasant surprise but like now that you're I did I did notice physical (laughs) and I figured that was probably a reference but but, it has but to be. now that you're saying it, there probably are other references that I just haven't like put together yet because I'm not thinking on the same wavelength. Oh, I think lyrically this is a really cool album. There's a handful. I, I, I only down. wrote down one real note, and it's it's um that she might be a racist vampire. I can't prove that though. What? Sorry, what? Follow me here. Please follow me here. <laughs> She's levitating. She's okay. levitating. Okay. What levitates? Vampires and possessed people. She's got you, Moonlight. You're her starlight. She needs you all night. That's because vampires need to be in their coffins by daybreak. And also, all of this is just to deflect that I really misheard the word sugar boo the first time I heard it, and it sounded like a slur. <laughs> oh, yeah. Chris, that's what you got out of this album. Yeah. Are you kidding me? That's what you got out of this? That's the, that's the biggest lyrical note I got out of this. Outside of, outside of oh. physical, which you already brought up. Okay. All right. So I'm just going to get into a, just a couple lyrics. Um, not for any particular reason. Just as a couple that I think I really, really liked. Um, so this, the the album literally kicks off with 
this first verse. You want a timeless song, I want to change the game. Like modern architecture, John Lautner coming your way. I know you like this beat, because Jeff's been doing the damn thing. Uh, so Jeff Bass, producer on this track, and I think overall for most of this album, I think he was pretty heavily involved. He's also the guy who did things like We Are Young yeah. by Fun. So, like, I love that this album is right off the bat, just, like, in your face saying, this is going to mm -hmm. be a hit, whether you like it or not. And it's just, like, it's so full of itself in that really fun, egotistical yeah. way. In that, like, empowering way. Not like Ingve Malmsteen, like, telling God he can, like, I, 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 can, I can play guitar better than you. This is just, like, it's fun, it's egotistical, it's empowering, <laughs> and it's just really cool. I love the fact that that is how this I love the fact that you just put in into my head Ingve Malmsteen's fat ass like out in the porch yelling into the night sky to god that he can play guitar better than him have you never seen the the joke video where he says I taught god how that's to play incredible. guitar it's not real someone took a bunch of things he said it was one of those like mixed like they took like yeah like I taught I taught talking. and then like put in god and then like yeah, yeah it's so that's funny. incredible because I think there was, there was a like an early YouTube video that was like a parody was like it was like it was a one, a video of one of his lessons with um some guy like overdubbing vocals and the one line was I taught God to play guitar and then it became kind of like a running joke on its own. And it's just like hearing it in his voice was and amazing. Sometimes you just unleash the um, fucking fury. Exactly. Um so another another album another not another album, another lyric that I just thought was really fun is can't be a rolling stone if you live in a glass house. And this is just one of those lines that it's not like completely original. Obviously this is based on two well-known phrases, but I like putting them together and it, it's, it's clever. Kind of, it actually reminded me a lot. It's clever. It's clever in like a fun yeah. referential way. And it's a lot like how John Darnielle uses um, like half of a Bible verse in yeah. the middle of a line. And it's just Oh, that was so good. You took like a thing that I recognized and used it in a new context. God, I love it. It's not like lyrical brilliance. We are but it's fun. we have it's hit fun. a middle ground with Dua Lipa where it is not the Mountain Goats, but it is it is certainly no. not Braxton Cook, who is a great no, musician. Maybe not the best lyricist. No. It's I um I refer to Dua Lipa's first album as pop yeah. with a point. It's um, in fact, you actually might recognize one of her songs just because it's it was so all-encompassing that even people who don't listen to the radio probably got stuck hearing it. Um, and it's just one of those, like, I bet if I sent you one or two of these songs, you'd be like, you know what, I get it. This isn't for me. This song is not written for me. But I can imagine there are people who are listening to this song going, yeah, I'm I'm." Oh, I mean, this is, this is, um, this is a very good pop album. <clears throat> um, I, I, I am not putting it as my favorite because I I really like that Halsey album you fucker dude Halsey's 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 other queen, than that man. this might be my favorite pop album you've sent me it's so good poppy excluded um, can I get into one can I get into one Please. more lyric here Specific, this is 50% this is, your show I have one more lyric here that I really want to cover because uh, this is just incredible. It's from the song Good in Bed, which is also the only explicit song on the album. It is a great song about a couple who, instead of 
um, fighting the good fight and finding compromises and working through problems, uh, they just have sex instead. So, you know, it's, it's a great message. Also, listen to, to Tallahassee um, by the Mountain Goats. Yeah, it's great. It's perfect about healthy relationships and, and problem solving. <laughs> um, so, it has, it has a great opening line, first off. Uh, yeah, let's get to the point here. You love to disappoint me, don't you? Which I actually just kind of really like. Again, I'm going to go back to my whole, that sounds like a MySpace header. That's like the kind of thing that like some angry teenage girl would put like as her away message when she's mad at her boyfriend. But the real shiner in this song is this gem. I dedicate this verse to all that good pipe in the moonlight in the long nights where we did everything but talk it through. I really hope that someday somebody refers to me as that good pipe in the moonlight. That is, that, I, I don't even know what to if say. If this was to the that. aforementioned Mountain Goats subreddit, my comment would be, "What alpha couple song is this?" <laughs> like it. Oh god! Like what a weird line. But God, I I love it. Uh, I love it. All right. I'll let you no, I mean, okay. So I did like the lyrics. I didn't have as many notes as you did. Um, but the things that you said did pop <laughs> out to me as like, oh, that's a good lyric. I just, it's like, oh, but, I, I mean, yeah. I mean, the this the the bigger thing is that like, there was a bar set with Halsey and some of the stuff on Kesha. Um, that I don't think this yeah. quite hit. But this is way better than LaRue. Uh, as in, I would listen to this album again willingly. Um, yeah, yeah, I kind of figured. Well, so I mean, I think that I mean, the biggest thing is, even if you're not, like, digging the lyrics or the lyrics don't really mean anything to you, this is... This is, I mean, as we already this, said, this is, this a, is a successful pop album, because when I look at a pop album, uh, this is my, what I'm looking for in pop. In the sense that it's meant to be catchy and memorable, and I can look at the track listing and remember just about every chorus based only on the title of the song. That to me is successful pop. Yeah, that's. I mean, I think that's. I think that's. I think that is a fair. Um, oh, like that's a. What's the word I'm looking Assessment? for? Assessment. Like not. There were like I'm thinking like rule set. Like I think that's like that's a fair way to judge. A pop album, yeah. at least on the surface, yeah. I, that really makes. So, yeah, I, I, mean, I can I can look at like this track list and go like, oh yeah, every, I remember what this song. I, I made sounds. the strong ass hooks thing joke earlier on, but every yeah. every song on this is catchy. Every song is memorable. Yeah. Every song you can look at the the song title and remember the chorus without having to check which song it is. Okay. Um, yeah. It's not necessarily always the most interesting. Uh, there, like it, there. I, I could always use a few moments of a pop artist getting artistic, like Kesha did. Um, but that's it's not a problem because this song, this album, did exactly what it needed to do. It 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 kept me bopping for however long it is. Yeah, so I don't. Uh, this is not as short as the previous two albums. This album is... Oh, never mind. It's, I guess it is. It's apparently only 30 okay, minutes long. But yeah, about 40 minutes. This, the, uh, Boys Will Be Boys is not a bop. That's the artistic song for the album. We'll get into that in a yeah, minute. But the other 
10 songs on this had me bopping. I was, yeah. I was, I was grooving and moving while I was listening to it at work while I was making, while I was making pipe that she was singing about. And she was singing about all that good. Pipe yeah. It, in the moonlight. it actually, that, it, actually it actually was actually fire sprinkler pipe. <laughs> good. All that. Good it, I, she, I just installed some pipe in the middle of the night. There was a leak. Like I said, I didn't expect you to necessarily love this, but I definitely went into thinking, thinking like, he's going oh, yeah. to enjoy this. Like, this is... I, I knew you were not going to leave this going like, Jeff, what the hell am I listening to? Like, no, this is a fun, groovy... Like, if you don't want to dance to this album, then you're just the you kind got, of person you got no who fucking dance, soul. Period. Oh, yeah. Oh, this album has soul. This album yeah. has a lot of soul. But if you're not dancing to it, you ain't got no soul. Because the racist vampire well, some took people it. Ain't got no soul. I was just gonna say, what was your vampire <laughs> statement? There you go. Um, do you want to? Do you have anything you want to say about boys will be boys? It's, it's boring. boring. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let you do. I'm gonna let you do. Let you do you, and I'll, I'll see if I. Have I, I mean, I don't have a whole. I don't my have initial, a whole lot for my initial. I don't have a whole lot for. Uh, it, I don't know. If, I don't know if boring is the exact word. I did it, but it. It certainly, it certainly was one way to close the album. Um, it's, it's, it's certainly not as entertaining as the rest of the album. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's. I, I get what you mean. Like, it is definitely the like the weird artistic one. It has like goofy sections. It's, it's of this album. It's the one that does the absolute least yeah. for me. Do you have anything else, or can I go on my stupid little my stupid little comment tangent? Oh, I would here love it if you went on a comment tangent. Okay, it's not really like a tangent, but this is going back to remember how we were talking. I made you listen to Pillsbury Cookie Dough, and how it reminds me of um, "Do You Want to Build a Snowman?" And you referenced I forget what song it was that sounds way too much like um, yeah. "Careless Whisper." In the song "Love Again," if you skip to like one thirty-five. Um, the strings in the background, I want you to listen to a few seconds of that and tell me if it reminds you of something. So Love Again, around 135, listen to the strings in the background. Oh God damn, you got me in love again. You got me in love again. You got me in love again. You got me I remember when I was listening to that, that dun, 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 dun. it reminds me of something. I don't necessarily know what it is. I want to say like some Wicked Witch of the West bullshit. Chris, it's the Imperial March from Star Wars. I was distracted. Like I had to stop the song. To like let myself process that before listening to it again. I didn't come to this recording ready to drink, but I am now. <laughs> right? I can't believe Ugh. that. Okay. All right. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I I remember listening to. Yeah, I remember I listening I'm to right. it and thinking like this sounds like some sort of like. This sounds like something. This sounds like something. And I, I, I had even like it being a villain song in my head. No, you're, you're, this is the Imperial March, isn't it? Yeah. It, or if it, not, it, exactly, it's, it's, it's very close. Hold on. <coughs> I need some black cherry rum now. 
Okay. Do you have any other thoughts on this album, Jeff? Honestly, no. I was going to wrap up if you were done. I wanted to end on the Imperial I'm going part. to give this... I'm going to give this three exploded Death Stars out of four. I'm giving it eight pipes in the night out of ten. <laughs> eight pipes is way too many. I'm ordering a lot That's of pizza. That's a lot of pizza. Good... Man, now we're doing the good callbacks. We're fucking, we're fucking killing this episode, and the listener. Oh god! Let me chase it with the monster. Ready? Oh, that's what, okay. What do you drink? Like I said, uh, black cherry rum. What I, oh, what what I you want you okay. to do when um, the next time you get to go to a liquor store, do you like do you like okay. Code Red Mountain Dew? You get yeah. the Cruzan black cherry rum, and you put it in some Mountain Dew. And it is an alcoholic code red. Oh, okay. all right, that doesn't sound bad. Yeah, I'm in. I'm liking that's this. my that's my that's my strong wreck. You know what else is okay. my strong wreck? Quadra by Sepultura. <laughs> okay. Um. So first off, Chris, I just want to say, uh, so far this episode, we are three for three of albums that I really enjoyed. So now we're on to uh, uh, album four here. I, I can't so wait we're to see if we have ooh, a perfect record. Ooh, ooh, I'm glad you left it open. So, yeah, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying it. Um, so let me give a little backstory here. When this, when you recommended this to me, you gave me the additional homework of listening to at least two previous albums in Sepultura's discography. Well, you told me two albums to listen to to like familiarize myself, or, or with at the, the very band. least, listen to listen to enough to get an idea of it. Like, um, yeah. I listened to okay. two albums. Just okay. To, just to, so, what, what? um, I this is this so is, why so this is an album that I briefly <laughs> mentioned in a wrap up of an earlier episode, and as we were running out of albums, I decided this is something I want to come back to and see how you feel about it. But I I asked you to do a little bit of extra work with Sepultura because this band has a lot of history behind it um, that I think kind of raises some interesting questions about. Uh, what what it what does a band name symbolize? I think there's, you know, there's some we we kind of had a discussion with that a little bit, like with the Mountain Goats, like how it started off as a solo project became a band, and now this new album was sort of a, a solo thing. But that but yeah, but, but there's, there's no, no animosity. Like animosity. That's just there. he just put out this album. Um, so, but Sepultura. In fact, in fact, real quick, I want to say from what I understand, he put out that album knowing that the band is out of work, and I believe the money's kind of being split like it's to you know bring in some income right. for the band so which is super yeah, cool yeah so sepultura is a brazilian band and it was started by two brothers max and igor cavalera and they're actually kind of interesting they were the sons of a of a diplomat who died of a heart attack <coughs> and they went from well-to-do to poverty fairly quickly and they went on to form sepultura after hearing black sabbath's four album and i suggested that you listen to their third album beneath the remains uh, it's fairly indicative of their early work. Um, and Best of All was remastered this year, so it's almost relevant. Like, we could talk about that a little bit if you if you feel like it. Um, but then okay. I also asked you to listen to a little bit of the album Roots, which is the last album with Max Cavalera before he split to form Soulfly, which I think is significant because between those two albums, they changed a lot. Yeah, I would say, so I, I know... No, I do not. I did not do a ton of research because I figured this is kind of your thing um, as to all of the issues right. with the band. I know there are issues. I'm vaguely aware of some of them, but I figured yeah, that you I'm, explain I'm, things and better. I'm going to get right uh, into yeah, that. 
But um, um so uh, but I thought it was significant where he took the band because he took this like kind of thrashy death metal band and then he put out an album that was a little bit more groovy and that was actually their first fairly successful album that album went gold. Um and then he put out the album Roots which also went gold and was kind of like a mixture oh, okay. between Pantera and Korn but also had like these sort of like this album that explored their Brazilian roots or these sounds that explored their Brazilian roots it has like some Brazilian folk stuff. After after Roots Yeah. They're, like rhythm wise, there's some yeah, real interesting Yeah, and Mike, stuff Mike Patton's on it. Yeah, Mike Patton's. Wait, on really? It. I totally missed. I didn't. So after after Roots, Max left the band, and there was kind of a feud because his brother was still in the band, Igor, up until 2006. Um, and then after he left the band, Max's criticism kind of doubled down even harsher. And he's frequently questioned why the band is still using the band's name and music, citing that there are no founding members in the band, which is true enough. The initial lineup was. Um, Cavalera and a group of people who are kind of irrelevant. They didn't make it to the first album. And their current bassist is the only one that's been there since the first album. And he was never a major writer. Um, the The guitarist, Andreas Kisser, I'm, I'm just going to call him that. It's probably a more Brazilian pronunciation. I don't, don't, yeah. Don't even get yeah. me started on Portuguese. Cause but he's been in the band since the second album, and he's probably the secondary writer for their first four, like the second, third, and fourth album. But once it started moving into groove with Chaos AD and Roots, Max, Max basically took over all of the writing. And so by rights, he is the founder, the lead songwriter, and the band currently has no founding members, and only the bassist has been in the band since the first album. But this is musically a return to that early sound, which was, which is the actually, that most yeah, which is actually less successful than, you know, Roots. They they've moved away from that new metal sound into a more death metal style of their early albums. Yeah. So, okay. um, I it's I thought it was interesting. Like, what is what is Sepultura? Like, is it? Is, is do you think that this is uh they should be touring under this name does it matter uh, so i i have i have so many thoughts and feelings on this because um, we kind of talked I mean, we kind of talked that, about okay. like you know uh this kind of thing before with like the the misfits oh they should have changed they could have changed their name or like altered it and like done that or or alice and change should they have but this is the, the, those ones, like Alice in Chains, there's no bitterness. No one cares. At, like Lane Staley's mom is down, I believe. No one cares. And, and um, like the the only bitterness between the Misfits was like Glenn Danzig and Jerry only. And like at this point, they're touring together, and it doesn't. None of it matters. But this one, like, there's still yeah. like there's well, still I, like weird bitterness between everyone. Yeah. So it, I mean, this is obviously a weird. Mm like morals and ethics yeah. issue kind of thing um because obviously legally apparently it's legal for them to do this i don't i don't know the the details as to why but apparently somewhere along the lines you know the band in its current form has the rights to i'm use assuming this he thing. just he doesn't care and enough I, to like try to legally stop them but he's just kind of like morally like why don't you just change your band name like you're using my name okay i will 
Well, see, now I'm, I'm uh, not that I'm expecting you to know everything, but like, uh, I would be curious to know: Has he tried legally stopping them? Because I can fully imagine this is a situation where they might legally be allowed to use the name, regardless. I don't, know. Of what I don't really says. know. I think he just kind of like left the band and was like, "I'm doing my Soulfly thing now," um, because he wanted to do bad music for a while. Do bad music yeah. is that what you just I don't said? Like Soulfly. I I literally know the name Soulfly, and it's one of those ones that, like I know them as a band that I'm quote unquote yeah. told not to like. But that's all I, I mean, know. If you ever of. want to really look them up, but I I can tell you right now, you're not gonna like Soulfly. Oh, I'm not gonna doubt that. I'm not gonna doubt that. Um, but so the that, question okay, is, so did like, you like Sepultura? But we'll we'll get to that in a minute. I'm, a, I'm a, I, I'll say that's gonna be the ultimate question. I will okay. answer that at the very end. I want to talk for a moment about this idea of like, should they be using yeah. the name? Um, so other examples you gave, like let's use Alice in Chains for example. I think. Okay, let's say, even though like it, it is, from what I understand at least, completely on good terms. No one has hard feelings or whatever here. Um, I I don't think it would matter. if Even if Lane Staley, uh, you know, who, for anyone who doesn't know, was the former lead vocalist of Alice in Chains who, who died in the early 2000s. Even if his family and whatever said, no, we want you to change the band, I disagree entirely with that concept because I'm sorry Lane Staley fans the band has always basically been Jerry Cantrell's writing project Lane Staley was a voice and a figurehead but I don't think at any point he was the main not the main he, he did he did writing. he does have a few songs under his belt he did, he did like angry chair write. and stuff like that but yeah but, yeah I mean he did write but let's face it, it was, it was, and still is, I believe, Jerry Cantrell, yeah. lead part yeah. Jerry Cantrell. Um, I think a more interesting case of this, as to whether they should have used the name or, or what they're doing, is um, Sublime. So, Sublime, frontman Brad New- Newell, yeah. Newell, I don't know how to say his name. Brad, whatever, Brad, uh, you know, he died of a drug overdose in the early 2000s, maybe yeah. the late 90s, I don't remember. And the band now tours with a new singer-guitar player under the name Sublime with Rome, which I'm completely okay with that concept. They are not flat-out saying that they are the band Sublime. They are being open. We are Sublime We're kind of with a, tribute a different band person. at this point. It, yeah, it's like Queen you know, did the Queen plus Paul Rogers, and now the Queen plus... Adam um, Lambert. Adam Adam Lambert. I was trying to say Adam Levine. I was like, no, no, Avril no, Levine. the other L. Um, yeah, Avril, Avril Levine. Adam Lambert. Um, they are being completely upfront and honest about what it is, but my understanding is that Brad Newell was very blunt about him not wanting this to happen with his yeah. band essentially is that is are you like is this a thing that, that is that, that is my understanding about? as well um but i'm not any more clear but i think that we could also talk about a more interesting more relevant one because guess who's going to put out an album this year is static x yeah static okay x, static x uh, static x was as far as, as far as i'm aware almost entirely the creation of wayne who, static who passed away and basically years. you can you can see emails and interviews where Wayne Static says he doesn't want anything to do with the people who are now putting together the Wayne Static 
the the it's kind of a tribute tour, but it's very weird because they have a man in a mask to look like Wayne Static and like with the hair. It, as much as they pretend that's not what that mask is, that mask is very obviously made and, to look like Wayne Static. It's actually a little creepy, even like even if he were totally on board with the idea, it's just and it's and and they're <laughs> they're now digging up his old vocal tracks and and making an album out of them, and it's all very strange because again, there's like these old interviews where he says like I will never work with these people again. Like they've burned the oh yeah there's oh, like there's like talking about it. there's like things like you can read him talking about he sent them emails like talking about like he's not gonna work with them again <clears throat> very awkward oh that's weird yeah so I mean that's I think those are like it's always a really interesting case and I always kind of question where because again I know legally a lot of these cases it's like oh yeah they're legally able to do this yeah. but, but should they you know. Should Axl Rose have continued Guns N' Roses without any of the original members like he did for, you know, 15 years or whatever? Uh, legally, he had the name, but should he have done it? That's that's a little more of like a moral Well, question. anything that puts Buckethead in the spotlight. Right. I mean, I'll take it. I love Buckethead. Um, in this specific case about Sepultura, to me it just seems... I, I don't know what they're gaining out of it. I mean, I guess they have the name recognition, but could they not have gotten the name recognition by being, oh yeah, this is the band that formed out of the ashes of Sepultura. Like, surely that is enough name recognition. Yeah, and I, I can also, um, I can see that argument too. Like, let's, uh, it... like, let's face it, I mean, Audio Slave was, when they came out, the band that consisted of the dudes from Rage Against the Machine with yeah. Chris Cornell singing. They didn't need to pretend to be either mm. band. They totally let themselves be this new thing. And I feel like, like, okay, I'll say this right now. These guys are talented enough that I feel like they should have been able to make the name for themselves. So what did they gain from keeping yeah, the I band? Don't, I don't. I don't really know. It's a very, it's a weird topic, and I don't know that I even necessarily have an answer. I just kind of want to pick your brain about it. Oh yeah, I get it. I just, it is an interesting thing that I, I, I did think a little bit about because you did tell me again. You told me enough that I knew that, like, okay, there's some animosity here. There's some problems here. This isn't. Uh, it's not a clean break. When the lead songwriter. Yeah, when the lead songwriter of a band leaves, I'm always a little weird about the band continuing because in some cases that just means the new version of the band is going to be awful because in some of these cases they Yeah, and I mean we've discussed, are. you know, the Michael Graves era Misfits and in some ways I actually almost prefer them, but I I could also see an argument that they should have changed their name. Yeah, I mean I I'm I'm not going to lie. I I think they are different enough of a band that I think they would have had no problem saying like, oh yeah, this is the guys from the Misfits mm -hmm. and a new singer. I don't, that really would have hurt them a ton. I mean, let's face it, the Misfits were never a band that like, they were never uh, well, the I biggest wanna, band in the world. They weren't making I, I want to say though, anyway. I want to say that so with the Misfits, one, it was kind of a case of striking while the iron was hot because like, it had only been, oh... I I think they had they started getting some recognition with the Metallica covers, and then Guns N' Roses had just recently done a cover as well, 
when they when they reformed. Oh, okay. That I was unaware yeah. of the timing because they. Okay, I think they reformed in ninety four or ninety five. I want to say the the Metallica covers were in like eighty seven, and then because um, they were right after the death of Cliff Burton, they were kind of like Jason Newstead's introduction to the band. If I if if I remember correctly, oh, okay. so it was right before Injustice for All. Yeah. And then uh, the Guns N' Roses covered Attitude on the Spaghetti Incident, which I want to say was like '94. Ah, okay. uh, that sounds right. I, I, I mean, I, and a, I, and I a lot of and a lot of like that. a lot of the the Misfits following that was formed not from like them touring the underground was kind of formed from Cliff Burton always wearing the Misfits shirt in the early days of Metallica, from what I'm, you know. Oh, interest. There was interest. There was. I'm sure there was definitely like a yeah. certain fan base involved there. Yeah, it was another way talking... to find them as a band, you know. Yeah, well, I feel like, okay, so, like, let's, to use another example, like, let's look at Van Halen, uh, and people always say, like, there's the Van yeah. Hagar era. I can completely understand them using the same name for multiple reasons. First off, it is literally the guitar player's last name. Um, but second off, they were kind of mm-hmm. on top of the world. They had a long way to drop just to, uh, to change their name. They would have lost some semblance of fandom if they had been oh yeah the yeah, guys i could say the same about black sabbath too with Dio. there was more yeah. to lose there uh, when you're looking at something as not that as the misfits or you know in sepultura you were talking about a culture of people who are so into the music for more reasons than the hit songs there's nothing wrong with that for the record but this is definitely the culture i mean let's face it Metal is a culture, but also like not just the music. It is a worldwide. The biggest reason culture. I can I can figure. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Found them. I was good. Like this would have. This is a group of people that would have found them just based on the who biggest. Was in the band. Um, the biggest counterpoint I have for that is the year that it happened was like '98, and internet wasn't what it is today. Uh, so I could see maybe them worrying about how they would how I, they would bring that fan base back into a new project um at least outside of name recognition cuz now it's like you can just go on the internet and facebook and be like hey our new band is x um but it 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 might have been a little bit different in 98 I mean, but then I, again on the on the flip side max cavalera had no problem building a new following with soulfly i'm going to say like i i don't buy that because yes the internet is so much easier to to spread information now but like Again, we're talking about a, a culture of people who this is the kind of thing they pay attention to. Let's face it, things like magazines were much more commonly read. You know, in 1998, young adults who are metal fans were probably much more likely to pay attention to other forms of media to find this information. They weren't necessarily reading online forums. You were finding this through through Dude, magazines. You know what? You're absolutely stores. right. Let's quit the podcast and start a zine. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say, you know, in the punk scene, it definitely would have been those zines, man. It is, it is an interesting, it is an interesting concept here. So now, okay, so now my question to you, because I don't know who these people are, um, the the two brothers that Eagle, were in this yeah. band, right? Okay, so Max was the primary yeah. writer. You said what else? He was did the he vocalist. Do? Okay, well, I'll say, was he the? I wasn't sure what I was listening to. Like, are the? Yeah. Okay, okay, just putting context to what i have been listening to here because i listened to three albums yeah, to see and igor, what I'm igor is the drummer okay i mean that's okay that's fine as as we have made clear um my 
lack of being a drummer in any sense really inhibits my understanding of what I'm listening right, to. Right, but as drums. as I can tell you, really cool. Like it means nothing to me if he's there or not. No, no offense to, to him and all. Oh, I understand. I'm I'm saying that just as like this was the co-founder and he hung on till you know 2006. He 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 stayed for about. 10 years after Max left. And I think that might have been part of the reason that they, that they were able to, you know, hold on to the significance of that name for that long is that one of the co-founders was still in the band for another 10 years. And, and I think they had some bickering between them too. Like Max and Igor, I think might've had, yeah, might've had some bickering, I can fool but that. um, yeah, it's, you know, it's a, to say the least, they had, um had a lot going on there for 10 years. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay, before we go into uh, how you felt about um, Quadra, how did you feel about the other two albums that, uh, that you listened to? Okay, oh yeah, so let's start from the beginning. So again, you told me to, to dig into these albums a little bit, just to get myself familiar. So, again, not knowing a whole lot about this, I went into this knowing, like, okay, if he's making me listen to two albums that were released you know, a handful of years apart, I'm assuming, I'm, I'm, I'm putting myself in the mindset of okay, album one is going to be different than album two. Album three is going to be different mm-hmm. than album two. You know, like, I, I'm expecting to hear some changes. So I didn't really know what I was getting into, though. This is not a band I have any real familiarity with other than the fact that right. I know the name. And I know that people pronounce the <laughs> name incorrectly. <laughs> um, <clears throat> so the first one you made Beneath me listen the to Remains is, from 1989. Uh, I'll say, which is... Yes. Their third album? Third. Question mark, I think. Okay. Um, I, I mean, so I only wrote like a paragraph or two about these two albums just to kind of give myself okay. a, a reminder. This album didn't really blow my mind, but it's totally, it's 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 super solid for what it is. This is definitely the kind of thing like, yeah, I, need to I mean, it's death writer. metal. You like the band Death. You like a few other projects. Yeah. This is the kind of yeah. thing where I was like, in the right mindset, you could really dig this album. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's, I mean, the whole album is it. It's almost at the same tempo. Half it's the album's it's at from the same that period beat. where like thrash and death metal were still kind of crossing over a lot. Were, yeah, they were. They haven't really defined themselves entirely yet. They haven't like. It's almost like you know, like a genre gets a name and then they kind of define itself, and then like a f- within a few years, every band playing that genre sounds exactly the same. Uh, yeah, they it's kind of um, it's kind of when Venom was considered so, like, black metal. Yeah, exactly. So this this album, half the songs have that like really cliche metal riff that I know it's cliche, but I, I kind of love it. Where it's just like, wait a wait a one two three four five six one two three four five six seven eight like on the low open you know whatever yeah like the like the standard tune guitar low of some sort. It's like a repeated just chugging riff with a thing that happens once every measure or two essentially. Which, again, it's super cliche. I also absolutely love it. This whole album is just kind of like this nonstop rampage of that. So if that's what you're into, like, this is, it is a pretty cool album. It's one of those ones, however, that there's nothing here that I haven't heard a hundred times before. So if you're really into the style of music, you probably like 
all of it. If you're not really into the style of music, to me it's one of those like, oh, well, the first couple albums of this style are the ones you're going to like. Or maybe you just really like one person's specific vocals. But no offense to the band, there's nothing in this album that is making me go, oh no, I'm going to listen to Sepultura because right. of this guy. Now, this 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 style of music, every... I mean, obviously, I think you need to be, like, a phenomenal musician to pull it off well, but there are many people who do pull it off well. This is about the nuances that can't be changed by what guitar or what equipment they're playing. Um, if you're really into their lyrics of, you know, for whatever reason, if you're really into the vocalist, mm. something. It's pretty straightforward. I don't have a whole lot to say about it. It's It's super cool for what it is. I dug it. I don't love it. It's fine. So Roots was the other album you got me to listen to, which is 96. from 96, yeah. right? No, I haven't written down Sheriff somewhere. So, again, I came into this album knowing I'm expecting a genre shift of some point, or of some sort. I didn't know what to expect. And this actually got me on a weird research tangent in itself the other day. Uh, because as I'm listening to this, I kept saying to myself, like, I don't know if this is insulting. I don't want to make this comparison. I don't know. This sounds Can a I lot like Corn and Slipknot. No, I don't know me. if you researched this, but I want to. I will. I, I want to read saw. a little bit of a paragraph. Look away Please features do. guest appearances by Corn vocalist Jonathan Davis, then Corn drummer David Salavera, House of Pain, Limp Biscuit, Turntablist, DJ Lethal, and Faith No More, Mr. Bungle vocalist Mike Patton. Yeah. I totally missed Mike Patton on here, but I, I, I did eventually realize, I was like, oh, wait. I, the, the, it, it's understandable where this came from. So, real quick tangent that actually made me realize, I always forget that new metal as a genre is mm-hmm. as old as it is. In my mind, it started in, like, yeah. 1999. No, it's from the early yeah. 90s. So, like, in my mind, I'm listening to this thing, like, 1996. Wow, this must have been a huge influence on insert bands here and then i did a little research and was like no 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 no, never mind they were a big influence on this album <laughs> like that totally slipped my mind so i the entire time i'm listening to this the first couple times i kept thinking like oh god this is insulting isn't it like comparing this to slipknot um can i make another weird of one of my like i heard a thing that reminded me so strongly of another song uh the beginning of the song Spit on yeah. this album reminds me so much of Tattered and Torn by Slipknot that it was just like, it's not because it's like the same note or the same rhythm or the same riff, but it's so similar in some other way that it was just like, oh, I can't get this out of my head. But this was, this whole album was definitely that heavier, slower, chuggier style riffs that yeah. new metal was known for, you know. I know people argue over, like, what the definition of heavy in heavy metal is. And because this is, I mean, let's face it, like, the the metal music that I was first familiar with 
I grew up listening to Ozzy and Black Sabbath. And then I didn't really listen to metal music until I was introduced to Korn and Slipknot. And well, regardless Disturbed. of what you want to call it, so this my, album is yeah. fucking heavy. As soon as that that boom 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 on yeah, roots well, hits, it's like man. Yeah. So that's my my in my mind when I think of like, oh, what's the heaviest guitar riff ever? Um, things like this come to mind. I know an exa- like a really specific example that I think of a lot is Here yeah. to Stay by Korn. In my mind, heavy is not fast. Heavy is... You always have that super low note that you lit that drone, and then there's a riff that like lifts you up a little bit, and then the low note punches you back down. In my mind, heavy should feel like a big, heavy mallet. You have that spike where you hit the nail into the ground... And then you like have to lift the mallet back up. So this album would is you, heavy. Would, so you would agree condition. with Strapping Young Lad's song title "Heavy" is a really heavy thing. <laughs> yes, yes, I would. That's. I mean, I think that's at least in my mind that's where the name that's, the name is very descriptive. Well, because I know some people they you, you'll see on online forums all the time like, oh no, like, Painkiller yeah. is the heaviest song, and I'm like, Painkiller is a really cool heavy metal song but that's not a heavy riff in my personal definition of the of the my brain phrase it doesn't do anything that i would as soon as you said that's not i was like jeff's gonna end this sentence with my definition of the phrase and you did not disappoint i just want to throw that out there oh you're wrong (laughs) i'm glad that you understand how i speak so well um, so this was, a, okay, this was a really cool album, actually. I really enjoyed Roots more than I expected to. I don't have any, like, specific notes about it. Like, I, just, I didn't write a whole lot. It was just one of those, like, all right, let's see what I'm getting into. I think, um, so here's, so here's, here's so my then, analysis, personally. Um, I'm gonna, just like on what we've covered so far. Um, I'm gonna, yeah, okay. I, I really, I prefer musically their death metal albums, but I can also see where you're coming from with this isn't as unique as I'd like it to be. Uh, you know, I could, you, you could get the same thrill yeah. listening to death, morbid angel, uh, any, any number of bands. Yeah. Roots is unique. Roots is very unique. Yeah. There is, it's, it, it, it is new metal inspired, uh-huh. but it still has a little bit of like metal to it, but it's also got this, like, uh-huh. it's got this interest in, in Brazilian folk music that I don't think I've heard in anything else. No, it's definitely it's definitely unique, and it's um again I I kind of feel like I mean I wasn't I wasn't there in 1996 I was seven years old I I have no concept of this music at all like I said I didn't think new metal started until years later and I wasn't introduced to new metal seriously yeah. until the early 2000s so I wasn't there but I imagine there were probably people who were like you know oh, I hate these guys who are big fans of corn. They don't know what real metal like this sounds like. And their definition of that was this yeah. album, this Roots album. You'd be like, oh, no, these guys do it better. Like, Well, that I mean, even even the Death Growls will give them more credibility to some people than, than Korn. With... Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, I'm sure there were some people who were just, like, this was their, you know, we're going to be that guy. And it's like, oh, no, you want to get into yeah. metal, listen to this first. Even though, and let's talk about accessibility, but that's another. I did that rant already. Um, so then I listened to Quadra. You want to dig yeah, into Quadra? Are we ready? Can I read a couple things here in um, 
to explain what this album is, at least from the standpoint of a couple reviews sure. and the Wikipedia page. Quadra. It is a concept album based on numerology, the number four, and its significance as depicted on Quadrivium. I then had to look up what Quadrivium was. Quote, in liberal arts education, the Quadrivium, plural, Quadrivia, consists of the four subjects or arts, namely arithmetic, geometry, music, and astronomy. So I already was going into this album going, this is going to be lyrically the most pretentious bullshit I have ever okay. heard. That was my original was thought it? going into this. I then... I'm getting there. I then got into... Um, I, I read a few times on a couple of reviews. I, this album is split into four sections, like three songs each. Uh, the first section, I guess, being like more original thrash sound. The second album I saw described as Roots era. Um, like the groove metal stuff. Section three being based on Iceberg Dances, which I guess is one of their more modern albums or singles or something. I guess like section three is like, quote unquote, mm -hmm. the modern sound. And then section four is like this slower melodic thing. I'm not sure if that was really intentional. I don't know if I really agree with all of it, but I, if that was intentional, I, I can I see it. I did make a listening to these songs and go like, oh, I, I'm going to agree with you. I haven't seen sense. that I anywhere. I don't know if that was an intentional thing, but I can kind of get where people might be coming from with that. I saw it listed on at least two separate reviews. Um, I, and I, I never saw like an official statement. So I don't know if this was like, Somebody wrote it, like, for Rolling Stone or whatever, then people copied it or, or what. I don't know. But it, it, it did make me think, like, you know what? That does kind of yeah. work. I can kind of see that, actually. Especially the part about Section 4 being, like, slower melodic. The last three songs yes. are definitely different yeah. than the rest of the album. Um, okay. So now another quick tangent here. Uh, because I... I already made my comment about, like, this album is going to have, like, these really awful, pretentious <laughs> lyrics, right? So that got me thinking. The whole reason we're doing this podcast in general, which, as we've discussed outside of it, isn't really a an album review podcast necessarily. It's definitely more of a music appreciation thing, at least is what it's evolving into. And quite frankly, I actually yeah. like that idea I, a lot. And I agree. I'm, I'm definitely, like... <laughs> That's why I'm like, I'm still kind of, I want to give, like I said from the beginning, I'm giving some sort of semblance of a score just to let people know w how much I liked an album. But these, like, what I'm saying isn't set in stone. Yeah. What what I feel is an eight today, I could feel yeah, is a yeah. six tomorrow, you know? I think, oh yeah, I mean, I, I could never give, like, exact numbers usually, but I think I do a pretty good job of, like, if I like something, I know that I can't hide my enthusiasm. Like, I just, I know that. Um. So, but doing this, I, I, I'm obviously spending a lot more time listening to styles of music that I don't normally listen to, or I have, like, only a passing interest in. I don't think, if we weren't doing this, I would have never probably listened to this entire album back, like, front to back, let alone multiple times. Let alone multiple times while, like, reading the lyrics and really thinking about it. Like, I'm really critically looking at some of these things. And I got to thinking about lyrics. And there are a couple examples in here that I think are doing that thing that metal lyrics tend to do. And I realize this is like a personal preference thing. Some people are super into this. Obviously, these guys write these style lyrics. 
but they are lyrics that just come off as incredibly juvenile sounding to me. I mean, don't get me wrong, like, I, I am a big fan of Evanescence, but God knows that Amy Lee writes some lyrics that just make me go like, oh my god, you were not 15 when you wrote this, you were 30. You know, Crimson Regret, like, what does, that doesn't even mean anything. You're just using words. Word salad. So I got to, I was, yeah, I was thinking a lot about this concept of, like, juvenile lyrics, and I'm, my inner monologue kind of went like this. This all sounds juvenile, this is really stupid, there are, but, like, this, 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 you know, like, not all metal is like this, you know, like, I really like some Metallica, like, you know, like, one, that's a great song. Wait, how are the words, what are the words? Nothing is real but pain now, look to the time yeah. when I'll live, hold, hold my, my breath as I wish for death. Yeah. Uh, deep inside, I feel the scream, and I'm thinking, like, no, 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 those lyrics are totally fine, because they're from the point of view of, like, this injured soldier, and they're telling a story. This isn't James, like, saying it for himself, and that's when I realized that I'm forgiving the song One by Metallica because I know the story. How many of these songs am I looking at specific lines and, like, hating how juvenile they sound, but not putting myself in the How story of the of song you because I, I i feel like i can i can agree with that because there are times where i send you shit and you're just like this is stupid and i'm like i don't even know if you really like dug into what it's about well because i mean well the, the problem is like uh, like that was my i mean that was that train of thought my inner monologue about metallica that whole conversation happened in like yeah. three seconds to myself like i went from like Oh no, Metallica's totally fine. One's a great song. Oh wait a second, no, those lyrics actually kind of suck. Oh no, wait, like I, I kind of caught myself. Like there are certain words that I think just really kind of bother me because they sound juvenile to me. I realize the words are not juvenile in and of themselves. The word torment isn't juvenile, but I'm so used to seeing it in really yeah. lame context that I have okay. like that bias. Um. But I, I did realize that, like, that I basically, like, really became, like, hyper-aware of this own bias that I have, which I don't think is really going to save me from, like, I'm still going to hate some of these lyrics. It's just bound to happen because, you know, even if you're aware of your own biases, you you still have them. Um, But I am trying to be a lot more forgiving whenever I can. You know, maybe these lyrics aren't as, like, super weird, like, pity-me garbage maybe they really are telling a story. Um, I will still never forgive lines like vaginal well, yeah, coffin that's, chips I mean, or whatever the hell but that I mean, was. But I mean, there's a big difference <laughs> no. between Midnight like, and a lot of the other stuff you don't like, because Midnight, again, Midnight, yeah, again, are a like, band that aren't taking themselves very seriously, <laughs> and they're trying to put out just something that's goofy yeah. and, like, offensive on a surface level, but they're also just, like, drinking beer and having fun. Yeah, I mean, I, I get it. I'm just saying, like, that's just, like, that is an example of I'm never gonna... But I am trying to be a little more forgiving in, in certain content mm-hmm. as best as I can. That being said, this is not lyrically an album I'm ever going to be super into. It's just not my style. There's nothing I can do. I, I'm sorry, I look at the name of the song Fear, Pain, Chaos, Suffering and just think like, God, that's lame. Like, I, I can't. I cannot look at that well, and that's, take that's it Well, that's fine. That's my seriously. least favorite song on the album. Oh, good input. Oh, oh, you've been, you've been doing so good, and then you and then you fucking yeah, give me an oh. Yeah. You fucking. 
I guess I'm just, I guess I should say this right now. Oh. That that's my favorite song. <laughs> I love it. Anyway, get, actually, I don't. I still don't hate that song. Okay. But anyway, we'll get to all that. But so, shit. Um, you know, what? I'm gonna let you talk for a minute. Like, do you do you need to fucking recharge after all this? No, before I, before I dissect anything else, because I have a couple more specific notes I want to make. Go ahead and. and, and um. Okay. Well, I think first off, I think isolation is a strong intro and relevant. I think it. I think that song, along with like you kind of said, the first three harkens back to that period of death metal where it was between death and thrash, and the line was very blurry. That that which is where I think you know the early Sepultura comfortably sits. Uh, but I I I want to make a point on here that I made on the Dua Lipa album where I think even if you don't like the lyrics, I think all of the melodies for the lyrics are very strong, especially considering how limiting that kind of aggressive vocal style can be. I look at all of these songs and I'm like, I remember almost all of these choruses. Oh yeah, I mean this is um, this is definitely a a as, as far as vocal hooks can go, they definitely exist on this album. Um, like this style, like obviously you can't write like a catchy melody quite yeah in the same way. I mean it is definitely possible. They they, 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 they did very did. good for that style. You can't be soaring all over the place like a Bruce Dickinson on on with this kind of vocal style. But yeah. he did very well with with writing something catchy. Yeah. Oh, I mean, oh, absolutely. Um, I, absolutely. I like that there's uh, some orchestration on this album. It conceptually reminds me of them playing with tribal influence on, on Roots, except I would say that this, like, yeah. this is kind of a more, like, typical version of orchestra, whereas I think that was more interesting because of the tribal, or the tribal stuff. Although there is, like, a moment on Capital Enslavement where there's, like, that really interesting tribal drum and orchestra intro. And then Guardians of the Earth has this really cool synchronized oh, guitar, not even drums, just percussion intro. Um, and it has a much more traditional mm-hmm. metal solo section than like the death metal that dominates a lot of this album. So I think Guardians of Earth and Capital Enslavement um, were some really, really strong tracks on this album. I think Isolation's a strong intro. I, I mean, I think you might be getting to understand that I enjoyed this album even if I kind of agree with you on the lyrics, because to me, again, lyrics are not the main reason I'm listening to metal. If I like the lyrics, then that's great. And I, I especially like when the lyrics tell a story. I think metal is kind of underappreciated for its storytelling abilities because th- how many fucking bands are their songs all stories or even concept albums in metal? There is so much more storytelling yeah. in, in heavy metal than most of the pop and and hard rock and stuff that's out there, which I think is one of the reasons I have a preference towards it. I like that kind of storytelling stuff over, oh baby, oh baby, oh baby. Yeah. 
I mean, and the thing is, like, yeah, let's face it, when you're saying, oh, baby, you could be quoting Justin Bieber or Robert Plant or Bon Scott, yeah. like, that's, yeah, you know, that's, yeah, no, I, mean, I I totally get it. And, you know, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting because I've, I've talked a lot about song structure and, and writing lyrics into song structure. I know we talked about it with the Mountain Goats today. I know I've referenced it before, I think, when criticizing Tool and other, like, progressive metal bands. There is something to be said for when you are intentionally limiting yourself to a song structure, you are forcing yourself to be more picky with your word choices, sometimes making your lyrics not as nice and poetic sounding Mm -hmm. to get the point across. And then when you are doing something as grand as telling a story or even worse, like a concept album, you really are limiting yourself even more. In, in some ways, I think it is definitely more difficult. So you are going to have some lyrics that may not be as grand and brilliant and clever because you're working within different confines that you're not used to working with, or you know you're working within confines that some people don't give themselves ever. I think um, for better or worse. Oh, you know what? I can't. I don't even know if I can make the the comparison because I I, I had a second thought and then I I kind of negated it. I was about to say, I think it's telling that one of my favorite Snot Arctica songs, uh, "White Pearl Black Ocean," or is it "Black"? Pearl? Yeah, is is yeah, yeah, "White Pearl Black Ocean." Pearl Black Ocean. Um, is one of my is one of your least favorites. And I said, no, I really like the story it's telling and the melodies it has. And you were like, oh, it's telling a story. But then my second thought, but then my second thought you was know, uh, that yeah. you really like the boy who wanted to be a real puppet, which is also a story song. Well, okay, in all fairness, I have grown to really like the song White Pearl Black Ocean. My problem with it is, and again, this is this is this is where we really differ on how we listen to music. I couldn't get into the lyrics of the song White Pearl Black Ocean because musically it is not interesting. Oh, I think it's fun. It is what? Nine it is nine minutes of not interesting. Fun is different. It is fun. But it is a very simple, slow chord progression. It is not the most... Tony Kako, for having some like absolutely amazing like vocal abilities and writing great hooks, the melody isn't super interesting. It's, and it's also long, which I am not into long songs. I get bored. I get bored if it is not constantly keeping my brain focused. Which, again, because the song basically has this simple chord structure the entire time, I get lost. I did not get into that song until you told me to listen to it while reading the lyrics. In fact, I think that is one of the first times I started doing that, which I do routinely, where I sit and listen to an album and read the lyrics. Because I now realize, oh wait, I really like this song. And I totally missed it for years because... I didn't mm-hmm. give it a chance essentially because of the way I approach music. I want it to be how, how do I want to say, I don't know how to say this without sounding super pretentious. I, I want it to be stimulating. There's stimulating. a weird word to well, use. Okay. <laughs> well, I mean, and, and um, a, a great man, Tim Curry <clears throat> once said that rock is very stimulating uh, in his classic. I do the rock, but you, you, I do, I do think that, um, there is something that comes from you listening to pop music where you want a song to engage you the first time. And uh, me coming from yeah. like 
I listened to a lot of progressive metal when I started, you know, getting into music. Like, I listened to pop and stuff for years, but, like, the first album that really engaged me was probably Master of Puppets um, or the Black Album. And so I yeah. I, I, I well, come from, like, sort of, oh, this is this is the kind of music that I want to listen to two or three times and really understand the song. Whereas if something doesn't grab you the first time, you kind of write it off. Is it? I, I do. I mean, which is also why I got into like jazz and blues because I, I yeah. like the improvisation aspect. I can listen to this and put myself in the shoes of the performer going, yeah. where are they going with this? Why are they going with this? This one. Um, it, it keeps me focused immediately. And, and, I, and I do think that's a really cool way to, to approach music. I really do. I really do like the idea yeah. of, you know, a lot of this was just kind of done off the cuff. But I also, I do have uh, an affinity for something that was really, like a 10-minute song that was really tightly produced until everyone, like, knew exactly what they were doing and could get it down in one take live. Yeah, there is something impressive in that in concept. Um but I think few people pulled off in a way that right. is interesting to me personally. I obviously understand the appeal. I it does not appeal mm-hmm. to me. The same way I do not put onions on my pizza, I do not like epic twelve minute long. And, it, Iron and it's Maiden very interesting songs. because you you do Sorry. put um you do get the Hawaiian pizza, which to me is the epitome of what do I have to throw on this pizza? Um, I got some pineapples and some ham. Yeah, that'll do. It's it's improv pizza making. Yeah. <laughs> I hate to say this, but I actually know of an episode of a podcast discussing the entire history of Hawaiian pizza. Um, if you are ever curious. <laughs> I like my analogy, though, and I don't want that broken. Like, I'd like to think some dude was just, like, sitting at home, Not like, uh, I want to make a pizza. I want to put something on it, but all I got is this can of pineapples and, like, this piece of ham. Yeah, so I'm gonna let that go because I actually like that. I like your head cannon here a lot. <laughs> who would have right, thought? Who would have thought it'd be Sam Altura to get us into the, the probably some of the most engaging conversation we've yeah. had during the run of this podcast? I, I don't. I don't even know what to say. Um, do you have anything else in particular that's coming to mind? Or oh no, I go start ahead, a new, start a like, new one. We already have 30 mental tabs open. Okay. Why not? Okay, I was I was so prepared listening to this album again i went into this the first time already think i was gonna hate it lyrically like i was i was ready for this pretentious bullshit which for the record i'm gonna throw this out there i i don't most of the lyrics meaning and i did not bother trying to research every specific song to make them meaningful that wasn't my that wasn't you my goal mountain in this this. no i didn't but i i genuinely have no idea where this quadrivium Number four, whatever. I, I I'm not seeing that relevance. Me neither. I just I, I much at all. I'm not gonna I, lie. Totally I didn't fine. even I didn't even know that much. About, I knew that there was like some kind of underlying concept, but I didn't really look into it until you until you said something. Because to me, if it's a concept that's vague rather than a story concept, I don't really care. And who, yeah. and who cares? Um. So I I'm looking at this track list and I'm reading isolation means to an end, last time, capital enslavement, Ali. And we have discussed before 
about how I, mean, I think we I think you even have brought it up like how cool it would be for a band to really focus their lyrics on telling the stories of different religions and mythologies from around the world instead of the constant bombardment with like the Judaic yeah based religions you know every metal band has songs written based on in fact, Jewish in fact it was last episode with like, Testament we, we, yeah. going back to Testament yeah. again so I saw right so I saw the name Ali and I immediately assumed this yeah. was going to be another one of those I, I thought of Ali being a name that people in the Muslim faith take I believe the idea so like obviously their their word for their one god is, is Allah in giving yourself the name Ali, I believe means something like I am subservient to this name, I believe is how that translation works. Um, what I was not prepared for was this song to very obviously be about <laughs> Muhammad Ali the boxer. <laughs> um, So I'm, I'm, I'm listening to this song and I'm reading the first verse. Won't kill in foreign lands. Return and beat by racist hands. We're victims of an oppressive game and cast aside a life of fame. The weight is heavy, the burden great. Stand to be different, held on to faith. A defiant champion of the world. And I'm like, wait a second. Champion of the world? Won't kill in foreign lands. Racist hands. The weight is heavy, is I think my favorite line, which I, I'm certainly hoping is not coincidental. I am hoping that is a play on the fact that Muhammad Ali was a heavyweight class boxer. And it's I got to the line, a defiant champ of the world, and I'm just like, God <laughs> damn it, are you kidding me? This is a Muhammad Ali song. Uh, and like, I mean, it, it, this... This whole song, like, the lyrics keep, like, half-quoting, like, because Muhammad Ali was was very famous for, like, his, yeah. his trash talk, essentially. He was, like, goofily poetic. Um, and it's like, there's, there's, like, little bits and pieces and quotes of, of things that he had famously said. <laughs> I just, God, I went into this, like, not that I wanted to hate. I don't want to. I don't go into anything wanting to hate it. But I do go into things like assuming no, like that having you're an idea of what I'm. I went into this being like I'm gonna like have to turn this album off after this song, and I left loving this song. I also love the fact that it literally ends on the line "Never down and never down and never out." The original <laughs> goat. And I'm just like. I threw my hands up in defeat. I was beaten by Sepultura. They had won, and I admit it. it, it they got me. They got me. I was not prepared for. Ah, uh, and then, it was on this song that I started to really like this album. When they caught me off guard so much, I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna. 
like uh, I was like I said to myself like I'm clearly wrong about this this album. I I don't know what this is, but we're gonna keep. I will going. forge on. I think I'm gonna like this. I will. I was like, I'm not pausing this yet. I'm gonna keep okay. going. We're gonna see what happens here. Um. So it, it, I, as I already said, my favorite song on this album is is track twelve, "Fear, Pain, Chaos, Suffering." Uh, so it's actually funny that, like, for the most part, I actually think this album. Oh yeah, is better I, as I will it agree goes. with that. The only uh, um, the uh, only thing I'm gonna say is that I think "Fear, Pain, Chaos, Suffering" had too many like weird changes for me. But on the other hand, you being someone who's into that kind of thing, I see where you're coming from. I, I genuinely see where you're coming from. That is exactly what I like. It changed enough. I it kept me invested. We'll never be your- Exactly. Um, it also, I actually really like the lines in the song while we're talking about fear, pain, chaos, suffering. This isn't like, oh my god, an amazing line. It was just clever and kind of fun. I really loved the the repeated phrase, lost souls travel free. Lost yeah. souls tragedy. I think that's just a really fun play on the pronunciation mm-hmm. of the words. I thought it was cool. I thought it was clever. But honestly, if it weren't for Fear, Pain, Chaos, Suffering, the song that really got to me is yes. Agony of Defeat. Yeah. That is this like that is actually huge, my favorite song on the album. Huge, yeah, this huge symphonic weirdness. Um, really hearing the singer like actually sing with like kind of a weird warm baritone voice tone was can I, can unexpected, I, I guess. I want Not to throw this out there. Um, if you enjoyed um, that, listen to the opening <clears throat> track of their previous album, Machine Messiah, where he does where he does quite a bit of cleaning. Oh, really? It actually it actually sounds like a doom yeah, song, but um, I didn't want to like I didn't want to give you too much homework, so I was like, the two albums will be fine. Yeah, I get it. Um, it was super interesting. I I kept thinking to myself like this sounds mm-hmm. like a Devin Townsend song. This sounds like a good Devin Townsend song. It was just yeah. really, really cool. I was really not expecting it. And then can we just talk for a second about yeah. track 10, Quadra? You know, the 40-some second long instrumental. Yeah. What? First off, what? Second off, oh, why is this not longer? I was really, I was really enjoying I know, it. I was it's really less digging than it. a minute I, long. I, I think if that song was longer, like if they if they fleshed that onto a full song, that would be um, a, a, a contender for favorite. I think my two favorites... Um, are Agony of Defeat and then Guardians of the Earth, which I think was very interesting. They did a lot of stuff on that. Um, as well as a real quick, just for anyone curious, uh, Quadra on this album is this weird acoustic guitar 
thing. It is very, it's very rhythmic based. And it's, it's again, I think this is going back into like, I think this is based on a lot of Brazilian rhythm styles. It's, I want to say what this is, is using like Brazilian traditional folk and samba, Mm -hmm. like style rhythms and polyrhythms. But like, it's definitely sped up. It's this weird little acoustic thing. I want it to be three minutes long and it's not, but it was a really interesting little interlude to these last two songs, which I think I said, like are both like these really big, weird experimental symphonic stuff. everywhere. They're big, epic songs to really end this album. Um, yeah, I mean, I, okay. So for the record, because I started this, I started everything by saying this, I'm going to throw this out there. Now I loved all four albums. Excellent. This, this episode. So like I we I went in, I said like you know hey we're three for th- we're three for four no we're four for four like this was a I, really I kind cool of, album I kind of thought that you might dig it if you can get into the right mindset I'm giving it a quadrata cinco um, I mean <laughs> I just want to say like I yeah I did really like it uh, even like I I came in with some I didn't come in expecting some bias it, but I came in expecting to not be floored some bias I also genuinely because I didn't know what your thoughts were I know that there's animosity in the band that all started after the two albums I'd previously listened to. So I also was kind of going into this thinking like, oh God, you know, the guys who founded this band left. What did oh, these don't guys Don't worry, do there's some definite band? years of, of putting out absolute garbage. Do not worry. Yeah, I, was, I was worried. That that, I was worried that that was going to be the case here. And I was wondering if this was going to be one of those, like you were making me listen to it to go like, Oh yeah, there's a couple really cool songs in here, but the rest is I, trash. I honestly, I don't um, think um, I could recommend any, from what I've heard, any albums between uh, roots and this. Now there are songs I can pick out and go, Hey, check this out. This is pretty cool. But I don't, I don't think you need to listen to anything between roots and this, but I think this is a very good, I, I would say strong comeback album. Yeah, I I mean I, I I'm not familiar with anything they've done in between, but like if they were not doing well for a while, like this is definitely really cool. Again, I don't know what actual fans think, um, because I I'm not one. I haven't I haven't been I can, there. Since, I can tell you what Metal Archives thinks. Would you like to know what Metal Archives thinks? You know what? Sometimes it's, some, I, I, you know, you know what? what? Right I agree for... with sometimes Metal Archives can be full of some very pretentious people who have some very strong opinions on um music that i disagree with but uh i think i think we can play it safe on this one and and and, and see what they have to say morbid visions 80 percent schizophrenia 92 yeah. percent beneath the remains 93 percent arise 89 percent chaos ad 70 percent roots 47 percent yeah they don't like the new metal. really i, uh, I can okay, see that mind. but okay so i guess I sometimes have to stop and remind myself that, like, oh, wait, among metal fans, new metal's kind of hated, even though, like, admittedly, it is a sub-genre that... Sub? Sub? A sub-genre that I, I'm at I least mean, entertained I'm, by. I'm with you. Some of, I mean, I don't... I'm with you. I don't have I don't the, the... I mean, I'm obviously... I don't consider myself a full-on metalhead because the, that, like, that would imply too much in terms of, like, I only listen to metal. But, uh... The, the metal archives is definitely full of the um, the the crowd that believe in no clean singing, and that kind of thing. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah, okay. Yeah, so moving it. on from roots against fifty nine percent nation twenty two percent Vorback forty percent Dante eleven seventy three percent Alex fifty three percent 
Kairos, uh, 74%. That's not too bad. Okay, the mediator between head and hands must be the heart is an actual album title. Uh, 70% Machine Machine Messiah. <laughs> Machine so Messiah, awesome. 66%. Quadra, 88%. So that's their highest review since their fourth album. Wow, okay. So this, I guess, I guess even among fans, this is a... Now, granted, we're talking form, about, so like, at their peak, which cool. is Beneath the Remains, 27 reviews, Quadra has four. But the the numbers are definitely um, in in their favor. In, yeah, I mean, like, I, I'd be curious to see, like, you know, if more people yeah. review this in the coming months. But I also think there's kind of a break in the fan base of just people who are like, their last string of albums were so bad, I'm not even bothering. Which I think is um, going to make this kind of a slept-on album, which is a shame, because I think it's very, very good. Ah, uh, yeah, I gotcha. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. There's some interesting stuff. Okay, Jeff, any closing thoughts for you? Dude, we just talked for over three hours. Like, I I, I, I can't think yeah, of Yeah, my brain's right kind of shot, so, um, I... I we're just we're just I mean, gonna skip right so. to oh thank god uh if we find it if we find it <laughs> you're gonna hear us going out with jeff's cover of uh high unicorn tolerance and if we don't it's gonna end very abruptly right here drawn to the dark covered by the blood when possible Call to the corners To any open crucible Easy to reach Bearing every mark Unmissably Wanna leave behind some token of what I carried with me. Searching the storm drain, sleeping the underpasses. Try hard to look hard behind my blackout sunglasses but I have high unicorn tolerance I have high unicorn tolerance 